The views and opinions expressed by tonight's guest and topic of discussion do not necessarily represent the official policy or position of Spaced Out Radio. Spaced Out Weekend, Spaced Out Radio Limited, its hosts, syndicated carriers, or anyone associated with this broadcast. Any rebroadcast, reproduction, or other use of this broadcast or podcast without the express written consent of Spaced Out Radio, Spaced Out Weekend, or Spaced Out Radio Limited is strictly prohibited. Listener discretion is advised. From high atop the mountains of British Columbia to you, listening around the world, this is Spaced Out Radio with host Dave Scott. Dave, oh Dave. Are you playing with those Bigfoot and aliens again? You can follow us on our website, spacedoutradio.com, on iTunes and tune in. Follow Dave on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio, on Facebook at Spaced Out Radio Show, or on our YouTube channel, Spaced Out Radio Show. Word is. Buckle up, space travelers. It's time to go for a ride on Spaced Out Radio. Mr. Bumblefoot, Dave is ready for liftoff. Ten, nine, eight, seven, six. Five, four, three, two, one. Captain, I am your host, Dave Scott. Good to have you along for the ride wherever you are on this great planet we call Earth. Thank you so much for tuning SOR in tonight. We are live right here in Uncle Jimbo's cabin, right here in the Great White North. As we are broadcasting live on this Wednesday night, early Thursday morning, if you're on the East Coast. Let's welcome in everyone listening in at SpacedOutRadio.com, on Spreaker, on the United Public Radio Network, Renegade Talk Radio, the High Plains Talk Radio Network, and on Revolution Radio. We do this thing every night of the week, rocking in and out of every show, thanks to our resident guitar god, Mr. Ron Bumblefoot Thal, formerly of Guns N' Roses, currently of Art of Anarchy. 
Yes, Bumblefoot is the official sound of SOR. Hey, if you're a social media junkie like I am, follow me on Twitter, at Space Out Radio. Give our Facebook page a like, Spaced Out Radio Show. On Instagram, you can follow me at Dave Scott, SOR. Subscribe to our YouTube channel, Spaced Out Radio Show. Find us on TuneIn, download this show and others on iTunes, and our website is spacedoutradio.com. If you want to take part in this show, you have to sign into one of the chat rooms on Revolution Radio, on the UPRN chat room, and on Facebook at the SOR Space Travelers Club. Or if you're on Twitter, just use the hashtag Spaced Out Radio. I will get to your questions and comments in there as well. On our website, if you haven't signed up for the SOR Space Travelers Club yet, well, I'm going to tell you right now it's time. Five bucks a month. That's it. Cheaper than a coffee. With that, your name gets entered into monthly prize draws. You get access to private group interviews, access to a special section for posting on our website, and so much more. Hey, we're going to give you a hell of a lot more than just access to our archives. While on our website, you can read up on my latest blog, check out Eric Markham's SOR Space Wire for your latest and weird news. And if you've had an experience you can't explain, do me a favor, fill out an SOR Sightlines report. Our intrepid researcher, Mike Schmidt, is ready to find out what's going on with you. All your information is 100% confidential. We want to welcome in everyone listening in on our newest affiliate, Renegade Talk Radio out of Las Vegas. Yes, we are live in Sin City, my home away from home. And we want to thank everyone listening in on our affiliate, the United Public Radio Network, live on 107.7 FM in New Orleans, and their listeners from over 160 countries around the world. And remember, if you are tuning in on Revolution Radio, remember, the Double R Machine is a largest nonprofit online radio station going today. It's a donation station financed by you, the valued listener. Do us a favor, head over to freedomslips.com and donate today. Tonight on SOR, we are going to take a hard look at the state of the paranormal industry heading into 2017, and especially focusing on two very important aspects of the alternative field of research. Those two aspects we are going to get into tonight are the science behind all things paranormal and the journalistic side covering this research. You see, the reason why these topics are so important is because there are two ways to help raise the credibility of research of what is truly happening in this world about what the mainstream really doesn't want to talk about. All we ever hear from the mainstream is, show us proof. We can do that, but it's true science and quality journalism that's going to help get that word out. It isn't so much the people who are researching as it is about how they are going to find the answers to questions that we all want those answers to. Central, or make that Eric Markham, is someone who is looking into this on the scientific side. Now, I will disclose, Eric is a part of the Spaced Out Radio team behind the scenes. Sometimes he's on air with me. But we are focusing on his scientific background, as he does have a Bachelor's of Science and does use it towards the paranormal. Everett Themer is also part of the Space Out Radio team, and he is currently building our journalism side. As a paranormal journalist, Everett really is striving to see people reporting in this field with true integrity, how we get there, and what we should be looking to accomplish in the field in 2017 is the reason why this show tonight is extremely important. We bring in Eric Markham and Everett Themer into Space Out Radio. Gentlemen, good to have you along for the ride. How are you? Good to be right. Thank good. You. How are you? I am good. Everett, first and foremost, a big happy birthday. I'm going to clap for you. Happy birthday, my friend. It's good to have you. Well, thank you. Have a good birthday. I hope you had a good day. And, you know, from all of us in Space Out Radio land, you know, I hope you had a very, very good birthday, my friend. 
Well, thank you. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. Don't be so excited, man. We really do <laughs> that. Made it through another people. one alive. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh huh. And uh, Eric, thank you. It's nice that you actually got a night off so you can join us. Oh yes, I'm, I'm t- tickled to be here. I'm going to get you to talk up just a little bit, my friend. Your your levels are coming in just a little bit lower, but that's okay. We're going to continue on here because one of the things that we, over the last three or four months, have been chatting a lot about is actually probably most of this year, or 2016, I should say now, is the fact that we have a lot of people in this field who are doing good work, whether on their scientific research side, whether on the journalism side. However, there's a lot of people not getting the credit that is deserved because it is oversaturated. We have a lot of people doing this in interest. We have a lot of people doing this you know, out of their own fun or their own will to try and figure out their own answers to what happened. Yet the mainstream doesn't really take this that seriously for the most part. And there's also a lot of people listening in for the first time who haven't had the opportunity to hear us talk and debate about what I feel are two of the most important topics in regards to the paranormal on how to bring it more mainstream, how to give it more credibility. So Everett, I'm going to start with you on this one, my friend. You have a journalism background like I do. Explain to our listeners who may be hearing you for the first time why you started to focus on paranormal journalism as your credo, as your area to write in. Well, I started focusing on it after a series of experiences, and I started to research some things, and I just kept finding dead ends, iffy kind of answers and a lot of just the same story over and over again, just at a different location, maybe, you know, slightly different events. And I really wanted to find out the history of some of these things. So I just started kind of delving into the paranormal in general and then found some things that I wanted to write about and just kind of mixed actual journalism with the paranormal and just started writing. When you started writing these articles and looking into the research, was it like digging for that elusive gold in trying to find a story, or was it a little bit easier than that because there's a lot of stories that are very profound, yet there's not a lot of quality writers in this field to take it to an actual story level? It was a little bit of both because you could find that gold nugget but then when you start to research it, you find out that, well, it's sort of not quite what you thought it was. And, you know, it's it's actually the tellings from, you know, a third person removed to that kind of thing. So it was a mix of both. I found that a lot of times the the writing quality, it's not that the people were bad writers. It's that they didn't take it seriously and they didn't really have a... English or journalism kind of background. So it was nice attempts, but they didn't follow up on angles of stories that they could have researched or gone a little farther with. We're going to get more into the journalism side right after this, but we'll bring in Eric Markham from the SOR Spacewire. He is our resident scientist around here. And Eric, I think you 
play a very important role in this field because you're one of the rarities, my friend, where you not only have an interest in the paranormal as an experiencer and a former ghost hunter, but there's not a lot of paranormal investigators out there who can throw the bachelors of science behind their name as well. Do you find, as you look into this, and as you started looking into this many moons ago, that trying to find scientific answers towards what is happening in the paranormal is rather difficult? Very. It's like they don't... uh... Okay, I read a very good article on EVP. And the problem was, they said that it tended to be a few decibels above the the ambient room noise. They didn't go into, okay, what was... They made broad statements, and they didn't back anything up with any kind of hard data. And I think that's what's missing in this field is... And I can can identify. It's like, okay, we got this. Yay. (laughs) Everybody forgot to document how they got it. And I, I think that's the problem. It needs to be approached. Being the scientist on a paranormal team should be the most boring job there is because you should be the one in the background collecting data. Not out there really experiencing what the crew is, but okay, what was the ambient temperature of the room? What was the decibel level of the EVP we captured? What was the background noise in the room itself? And I see that, you know, science is kind of tedious and boring and un you know, unglamorous, and I think a lot of people are trying to take the shortcut. And the more I would search into things, I would find, you know, this would have been a very good study if they had documented some more stuff. It's like, we got the secret, we're not letting it out. And that's what's got to change in this field. Well, let's talk about, as we kick off this show, the importance, Eric, of true scientific study in the field of paranormal because I think that's very important because someone like you is actually looking into that. You want to see this taken mainstream. Why do you think that is so far? I just, the way, in order for it to be taken mainstream and taken seriously, you know, mainstream scientists... And I, you know, I've got a foot in both worlds, so I can sort of dabble in both. But uh, mainstream science has become reduced to words that don't mean anything in abstracts that vaguely point, you know, dance around the issue of what they're trying to say. And it comes down to statistics and math. It's getting to where mainstream scientists want to see numbers. And in order to have them take something like paranormal research seriously, a a paper is going to have to be presented in which the numbers are there. You know, at, you know, X, this, Y happened. You know, it's got to be set out and the glamour taken out of it and just the raw facts put down. Or it's never going to be anything that has a voice to it in science is not taken seriously. And by voice, I mean, if you're reading, if you're reading a scientific paper and it's not boring the hell out of you, 
it wasn't written right. It's probably not going to be peer reviewed well. You got to strip all the emotion, all, everything out, and just lay the facts bare. And I don't see in what I've been looking at in the in the field. I don't see that, and it's not a natural way for people who are excited about a subject to write. It's you know, it's a learned thing. I guess, you know, because the papers I wrote in college, that's, I learned how to do that dry, detached, you know, just the facts, ma'am type of writing. And, but that's what it's going to, that kind of, the evidence is going to have to be presented to a mainstream scientist in that manner. And, and it's going to have to be verifiable. And we're going to get more into that as the show continues on. Everett, I want to bring you in here quickly because. As he is talking about, you know, trying to get mainstream information to mainstream scientists to take this quickly, we have learned in just the last year, through the election, through watching television, that the mainstream journalists really don't seem to have an interest in covering anything. And the reason why I bring that up is, once again, the John Podesta story. Okay, love him or hate him. The fact is, here we have probably the highest-ranking civilian in the world saying, hey, press Hillary for alien updates, and the media dropped the ball. Why do you think, whether it's paranormal, whether it's cryptid, whether it's ufological, the mainstream media tends to stay away from covering these events without, and I want to preface this, without the Star Trek theme, the X-Files theme, and then after the story, we always have to have that snide, snarky comment. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I think some of it has to do with the fact that some of these topics, or most of them, are still a bit taboo in a lot of people's eyes. But I also think that a big part of it is that if you search the Internet looking for these stories, you find so many iffy stories there's so much stuff out there that is of low quality is fake is unreliable so it's almost an oversaturation and what's saturating everything is low quality journalism but is it journalism anymore no not really it's almost anybody with a computer and an internet connection True enough. True enough. But let's start this whole conversation off with the journalism side for a moment here, Everett, because so many people have taken to radio, have taken to YouTube channels as their television network, have taken to writing blogs, have taken to writing pseudo-journalism in this field. Break it down for our audience how much is really out there. Because for many people in the audience, it is very difficult for them to search for any sort of quality or craftsmanship behind the work that they normally would get by opening up, say, a newspaper, watching the local news, or something along those lines. Why is this field so different? Well, I think it's hard to break it down as to why there's so much, because there is so much. If you search anything, everybody has an opinion. Everybody 
um, has an experience that they want to write about, and there are dozens and dozens and thousands of blogs and websites that they can that they can put this stuff out on, and pretty soon they think they're an expert. Um, what was the last part of your question? Well, just in regards to that whole expertise, because there is so many people out there now blogging, vlogging. You know, we see Facebook Live, we see Periscope Live, we see YouTube Live, we see live radio broadcasts, online broadcasting, and podcasts. There really seems to be an oversaturation for people who are trying to find the proper answers to the questions they have. And I can see where people are getting confused and maybe just tuning out, turning off the computer, not reading the journalism side of everything because it's too much to handle. What is your opinion on that? Oh, I agree. I think there is so much out there that you almost get overwhelmed with any kind of question you have. You can find an answer you know, on both sides of any fence. You can get the, the skeptic or the scientist to say one thing. You can get you know a, a true believer to say another thing. And they all have a YouTube channel or a blog, or a podcast out there. Mm -hmm. Go into detail about that, though, because there's a lot of people, Everett, who, who are stuck. There's a lot of orphan listeners, a lot of orphan readers, a lot of orphan viewers who just don't know where to turn, because over the last five to ten years, as the popularity of broadcasting on your own and social media has taken off they've really have so many avenues to try and find information it's very difficult to try and figure out what's truth what's opinion what's fact yeah i think they need to search and look and look at a you know a variety of options and you know ultimately it comes down to finding something whether it be a a, a radio show or a website what you enjoy reading or listening to, or watching, and then taking the information they give you and decide if it's credible, if it's believable, if it's along the lines of what you believe, and you know either continuing to listen or you know continue to search. Eventually, if you go through the muck enough, you will find reliable sources. Unfortunately, there's a lot of things that need to be waded through first. And what needs to be waded through? I'm putting you I know I'm putting you on the spot here. Okay, but I think it's important for our audience to hear this because they're the ones who are testing out this show for the first time or maybe reading a blog for the first time or trying to find that information because at one point 20 years ago there was one man, one show, that talked about this. He's gone, for whatever reason, okay? That show is different than what it was and what people expected. But what it did do is it opened up an entire genre of possibilities to get information out. Yes, it did. So how do we... Have people focus on down now when there are so many different options? Again, they, they really have to 
you know, you're going to search, you're going to look, you're going to find all kinds of different things. What they need to look for is somebody who's reliable, somebody who's professional, somebody whose information both sounds correct and is along the lines of their view. Somebody who is presenting information in a, you know, and I don't want to say reliable again, but presenting information in a factual, intelligent coherent way and not just, you know, telling another story. They're adding facts, they're adding research, they're adding documentation to what they're presenting. Eric Markham, I bring you in here because you also run the SOR Spacewire, so you've kind of jumped two feet into this whole journalism side. Even before you started up with us and you were reading online or listening online, as a listener, what was captivating you? Hmm. Well, that's kind of, that's a that's a good question. Have to make me think a minute. Uh, I discovered, you know, I'm like many who came to this field. You know, I discovered Art Bell, and the way he presented it, he had a credibility in his voice, and he took his guests seriously, which in turn made me take their guests seriously. And I think that's when I was, when he, he left the scene, that's what I was looking for and that's what was missing. But you can tell a lot of times listening to some of the other shows that the guest is there to fill the, you know, the, fill the programming slot and that the interviewer is really not, you know, interested or doesn't believe the guest. And I think that, that if we're going to expect people to take it seriously, that's where, you know, that was the draw for me is the, the interviewer who would take, you know, give the guest his say, ask the hard questions, not let them w- wiggle away, but then, you know, still treated the guest with respect and got rid of the giggle factor. Any show or any, anything I read that had the giggle factor in it, I immediately threw, you know, tossed away. So when you were just a listener, you weren't involved in anything like this, or you were a reader or maybe watching the television shows that are on, did you find them credible? Did you find them to be informative as people who are experiencers need in order to find those answers? Very, very little. I mean, it was all stories and unsubstantiated, you know, unsubstantiated rumor. Uh, He said, she said, fourth person removed, like Everett was talking about. And I, I felt, I think that those shows were successful in that they left you wanting to hear more. But after a few seasons of following them, it's like you still wanted... Your initial itch hadn't gotten scratched. It was like you can't sell the smell forever and and have it work. And I just that's where I, I had my main problem is it was all long on story and entertainment value, but short on fact. And that you know that's sort of where I was at. You know, I would give a new show uh, a try. But then, 
probably within about four or five episodes, it's like, well, this is just more of the same old, same old. It was hard to find anything out there that there was any kind of fact-based, any uh, anything going on that wasn't just a repeat of what another show had done the week before. Everett, I want to bring you back in here for a second, and I want to focus on print journalism or online journalism as it is. At what point in the paranormal field did we start seeing fact turn to opinion? Because I don't think a lot of people fully understand there is a huge difference between a reporter and a columnist. And it seems like we are using columns now, whether it's blogging, whether it's actual print columns, to tell our side of the story, our side of the opinion, and we're reporting that as fact now. Yeah, I think that uh, opinion has, in the paranormal field, almost always been reported as fact. I mean, it's hard to read a story today without it. It, it will start out sounding like a, a well-written scientific, at least scientifically based paper and pretty soon about three four paragraphs into it it starts going into you know just a story of what happened and uh, i think we can I, i think it's always been like that but i think part of that is a little bit the the fault of the scientific community in that they don't give the paranormal community anything that is acceptable they don't give them any parameters to work with they they change the parameters every time so all we have really are opinions and stories we try and present facts and the scientific community will say well you forgot to do this you didn't do this this doesn't count because you didn't take into into account this so basically it's always just an opinion on Twitter at hashtag Spaced Out Radio, I like John Porter's comment. He says, most of paranormal has degenerated into storytelling without any factual backing. That's an issue that we are having right now, Everett, because people want to be believed. Their stories are incredible, but it's kind of hard when you're, say, showing somebody a video and way behind the camera you hear that door knock or that hello or something along those lines. Yes, yes, it is. Like Eric has said many times, the camera is always pointed in the wrong direction. Uh-huh. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, Eric, I'm going to bring you back in here for a second. In your opinion, when we are seeing so much commentary replacing actual reporting, do you believe that that is actually doing people involved in this field a service or do you believe that this is actually a good thing because we're getting so many opinions out there well i think it the problem is it's it's not so much opinion it's it's uh tilt or you know spin they want to be believed and instead of just presenting and of course it doesn't make good entertainment to just present your data but it's Almost like when a kid is trying to convince you that you really, really, really need to buy me this BB gun for Christmas. I mean, they seem to go over the top. 
and leave their facts behind and put out, you know, this emotional, I'm not sure the right word for it. I always feel like they're pleading, please believe me on some of this stuff. And even if they had good solid data, the presentation and the way they spin it would make me doubt it anyway. So let's talk about it then. We're half an hour in. We're bringing up what the problems are in this field. How do we fix it, Everett? I think people need to stop wanting to be the star of their, their show. A lot of this, I think, is caused just by the fact that when people make a YouTube video or they write something or do a Facebook Live video, they want their 15 minutes of fame. They they want to be known for finding this evidence. It's It's... You know, their story, and they want people to know about it. And they put the focus on themselves instead of really on what's going on or what happened. Would you agree with that, Eric? Yes, absolutely. I think if uh, we take the egos out, you know, we have possibly, we are all dabbling in a field that could answer you know, the biggest question, existential question out there in everybody's mind, because, you know, death, the hereafter, if there is a hereafter, that's something everybody listening to my voice right now is going to have to experience sometime as part of the cycle. And Mm -hmm. ego aside, if we can prove scientifically, without a doubt, that there is something after this, you know that that alone should be reward enough you know without the ego stroking without the the ticker tape parade that confidence in knowing that i'll be doing something after you know they close the casket lid mm-hmm. i'm going you know i'm going off on something else you know that's the that's what needs to be answered I want to get a comment. Dave, oh, yes. Go ahead, Everett. Do you think that because it is really the ultimate question, one you know, one of the most important questions I guess we could answer, that that's why so many people put themselves into the story? They want to be the one that finds the final proof. I would say that. And, you know, I'll, I'll tell you this, if I can just take a second here to mention a story. When I was in broadcasting school, we were always told, literally day one of class, we're sitting, there. there's 40 of us in our broadcasting course, because they only accepted 40 a year. And I'm sitting there, and our instructor, his name was Robin Piercy, spent like 32 or 34 years with the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation, comes out and says, I would love to mop up all of you in the field of journalism. He goes, but I can't, I'm too old. And then he says, as he goes on about explaining what journalism is, and you can hear the passion in his voice, and you can hear you know, the love for his career that he had. Then he says a couple of things. He goes, number one, you never make yourself part of the story. Now, there are times where you get thrown into it. Example, let's say you're covering a riot and the police move in and they just start arresting everybody like flies and you get arrested. Well, that's part of the job. 
but you don't sit there and pull an Alex Jones and start a riot at a convention. You know what I'm saying? We're going to get more into the, the Alex Jones side a little bit later on in the program. But you don't make yourself part of the story. And yet, that included your writing. So when you're writing for radio, let's say, for instance, you're quoting someone and you said, you know, Everett Themer told Spaced Out Radio. Now that's changed where Everett Themer told me as I am the reporter. Well, now I've just included myself in the story. Now that makes that story egocentric. Do you see what I'm saying? I do. And that's what's happening a lot out in the field. And to me, being an opinion, that's what kills credibility. It kills it. You're not part of the damn story. I want to get to a, to- uh, a comment here. Sam Baltrusis, who has been a guest on this show before, and he will be a guest again in February on the 10th, says in the chat room, As a journalist who happens to write about the paranormal, I find this discussion very interesting. As a journalist, I wish we would move toward a more old-school approach. I strongly believe the paranormal world could use some journalism training. Everett, what do you think about that? Oh, I completely agree. I think, but again, it kind of comes down to people want to be part of the story. They want their, you know, few minutes of fame. So they're writing and they're putting, well, like you said, putting themselves into the stories. Sometimes maybe the stories get embellished a little bit. Um, I think they don't realize exactly what they're doing. They're just trying to write kind of a, a mix of they want to tell their story, but they want to make it exciting. So it's okay to add something here or there. And I think, I think he's right. I think uh, a lot of people could benefit if they're going to write to, to know some basic journalism ideals. Eric, what do you think of Sam's comment? Oh, he's dead on. Uh, and it's not just the journalistic side that's dropping the ball either. It's the scientific side. I think uh, there needs to be a paranormal 101 for jur- journalists and investigators that's actually more fact-based and less this is how you spin to uh, get your point across. Get the, Like I said, get the ego out of it. I think the probably the quote that fits this enough if I paraphrase Frederick Banning, it's if we do this, there'll be glory enough for all. He was talking about isolating insulin. If a team or a scientist or a group proves an afterlife, they're going to get dr- drug into the limelight whether they want it or not. So just concentrate on getting the work done and let the glory take, it, take care of itself. Well, and that brings up another good point. On Twitter at hashtag Spaced Out Radio, God of Thunder Joe posts, maybe too many paranormal researchers, Eric, want to be rock stars. They're in it for the glory and not the science of it all. I agree with that, absolutely. You know, they saw the TAPS team become a national, you know, become household words. They They saw these reality TV stars become just that, stars. And I don't know, I think, I can't, I can see why you would want to emulate that. I mean, I would, you know, 
I would give up being a lab, a medical technologist in a hot minute if the money was in it. But then again, I would probably lose the focus on what I'm trying to discover and what I'm trying to codify. So I think in a way, not you, if you, if you're more interested in the research than you are in the ego tickle, that's where the success is going to come in. And I think too many of these people out there are in it for the ego tickle. Let's let's get stick to the journalism side here for you know until the top of the hour in regards of this. You know, we all get into this, and I would say, Everett, that every reporter out there, even with what I do on this show, we all have an ego of some sort. Because there's not a lot of people who have the ability to write. There's not a lot of people who have the ability to broadcast, whether it's on radio or television. You know, and there you have to have that little bit of a chip on your shoulder in order to get the job done. Now, away from the microphone or away from the camera or away from the computer, we might be totally different people. But when it comes to the programming or deciding on the topics... How are we supposed to choose which topics are real, which topics are fake, and what needs to be exposed? Because everyone has that source. Whether or not that source is trustworthy enough is a different scenario. Well, I think you have to pick a topic that you enjoy or are interested in, and I think you have to balance that with you know, what do you know? What do you understand about that topic? And maybe mix in some information that you have from people or some research that you've acquired. Uh, I wouldn't suggest, you know, writing about something you have absolutely no idea about. So you pretty much kind of have to go with with your gut, what you know, what you want to to do. If you're interested in it, you're going to write a better story. But isn't it about character now? Because a lot of people, I mean, give you an example. We have a lot of smart people in there, but now it's all about a certain look. Giorgio Tsoukalos' hair comes to mind. You know? It's all about a look. It's all about, you know, trying to get that catchphrase. You know, the word squatch, which you know I absolutely hate. You know, isn't it about that now? Because... We're trying to make a dime off of this found, newfound popularity over the last decade? It is, but that's the fault of mainstream media. Ancient Aliens and Giorgio and them, they're making a lot of money and have kind of lost, lost interest in actual research. So, yeah, it is about the look, but it shouldn't be. Mm-hmm. Interesting point from Eric D. in the Spaced Out Radio chat room. He says, I think for interviewers like you, Dave, you should grill the interviewee before you have them on, seeing if the facts are believable and the motives of the interviewee are believable as well. This is the first step to being serious. What do you think? I would agree with that. You know, the tough part is, Eric, and I'll direct this right at you, and anybody scoring at home, you can chime in as well. The hard part is you have to believe everybody in order to try and make 
a show successful. So what I do is before every show, about two, three hours before the show, I actually call up the guest. I want to talk to them. I don't feel comfortable bringing them on if I haven't talked to them until like two, three minutes before airtime. And the reason why I do that is I want to get that feel. I want to get on the same page. Now, some people are tougher than others. I'll tell you right now, if I call up Stephen Bassett or Grant Cameron before the show, and they will do this show at any time, just got to let them know. Okay, they're tough because they're so no nonsense. They don't have a lot of time. They don't want to waste your time on the phone call. Yet when you bring them on the air, boom, they are on. They are ready to go. And that's the way it is. But when you're bringing on someone, say, who doesn't really do a lot of interviews, isn't in that A or B league of interviewees, okay, you have to work them. You have to let them understand you know, what you're all about, that you want the truth. I come at it not so much from a from an antagonistic way, but I try and bring it in from a way of, you know, getting to know that person. Because here's the thing, whether or not you believe the person who comes on the air, whether it's this show, whether it's other shows you listen to, whether it's on television, okay, it is up to the audience to decide whether or not that person is full of crap or not. For me... The way I look at it is, we have to believe everybody. Because I've never stood in any of your shoes. You've never stood in mine. There are people out there right now who have called BS on my stories. Even though I have witnesses to most of my stories. They'll call BS on it because that's the popular thing to do. It doesn't sound believable to them, so it must be wrong because it doesn't sound popular to them. It doesn't sound correct. So what we try and do here is we try and keep that going by saying, okay, I'll believe your story. Now, let's face it. If you have a guest on who just absolutely blows it and you know they're full of crap, you grind them on the air. You got to treat them the way they deserve to be treated. You know, you're not going to call, call them out. I mean, I think there's a certain way of professionalism in doing that. You're not going to call them out. And I don't like that. When I hear these amateurs on the radio or, you know, saying, oh, you're full of shit or you're full of crap or that didn't happen. You're a liar, buddy. You're a liar or something along those lines. That's not professional. It's not professional at all. You could do it in such a more subtle way that you could really slap someone across the side of the head verbally and they won't even know it until after the show. And that's what we try and do. Everett, what are your thoughts? Well, your job as a journalist isn't necessarily to believe or disbelieve them. It's just to give them a venue to talk about their story, their experience. Um, it's a venue where they can you know, speak about it. You, you need to ask the hard questions, but it's not your job to sit there and verbally or, you know, non-verbally, you know, disrespect them or comment whether you believe it or not, that's putting you into the story. And we just talked about that. Um, your job is just to let them tell their story, ask the questions that need to be asked, and let the people who are listening decide what they think of that guest. Eric, I'm curious your thoughts on that. Yeah, I you have a you can as an interviewer, seasoned interviewer, you can uh 
ask the questions that are going to make this person look. They're going to call their own BS just based on the questions you ask. That's your job. You bring them on, get their story, and then you ask the questions that, you know, you let them hang themselves, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And that I think that's how it should be done. It's not up to the guest or the host to skewer a guest. I mean, you know, they they agreed to come on your show, so we do owe them that, that bit of dignity. But <laughs> there's, nothing, there's nothing in the rules say you can't... Uh, let them show themselves for what they are. And, you know, there's a there's a big part of that, as what you said. We have had some stinkers on this show, and I have heard some stinkers on other shows when I actually get an opportunity to listen in, okay? And there are stories that are so far out there that you're like, yeah, this guy's just reaching for it. You can tell. You can totally tell when that happens. And the only thing that's happening is that person is ruining their own credibility. It shouldn't be about the show. It shouldn't be about, you know, the host or anything like that. But you do have to have a little bit of a tuck, tough skin, though. And for the sake of the audience, you have to be able to call BS when you hear it, Eric. Yeah. Well, I noticed that we had a guest on that there was some things about his opinions that we skirted away from because it wasn't something we wanted to broach on this show and we redirected. I remember have, you know, a little bit of it leaked out and I was like, Oh God, no, not on this show. But yeah, it's, if some, I guess if somebody is coming out with something or trying to give you such a line of absolute BS that there's, it's just there's no way this in any multiverse that what they're talking about could be true. Then there's a proper way of calling BS on them. Or at least, you know, going back to the extraordinary claims require extraordinary proof. Where's your proof? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I want to get to a couple comments here. Joe in the SOR Space Travelers Club on Facebook brings up a good point. Because a show like this one is very audience interactive. So he says, if the guest seems a little off, the chatters will grill them with their questions. And that's the way it should be. Right? And then we get at hashtag spaced out radio on Twitter, God of Thunder saying, when I hear a guest who's more interested in flogging their website, their blog, or swag, my cynics antenna goes up. Everett. What do you think about that? Do you think it's that easy for the audience to call BS on someone? I think the people in this field who are listening in, for the most part, are pretty damn smart. I agree. I think your audience, it's easy for them to call BS on people, but there are a lot of shows and podcasts out there where the BS can't be called and the hosts don't want to call the BS. They're out there to hear the most bizarre, unbelievable stories. Um, and there are a lot of smart people out there, and your audience is part of them. Bob in the SOR Space Travelers Club says, As a former news reporter, I have heard some really stupid crap from people I was trying to interview. The head of the health department in one town called my station Mickey Mouse. You know, we also have the people who think they're bigger than what they are as well. You know, for instance, I know a lot of authors will not come on this show, other shows, unless you've paid and read their book. 
So, Everett, is it our job to read that book? No, not necessarily. The, the thing is that everybody who is putting themselves out there to be on different shows, they have an agenda. They have something they want to promote. They have something they want to sell. If their story is interesting and you want to follow it or a writer wants to follow that story and check them out and hear them out and interview them, that's their, that, that's their only responsibility. If you want to read the book and or peruse it and, and, and find some facts to talk about, that's good. But 90% of these people that are making the appearances on the podcasts and radio shows all have an agenda to sell something or do promote something. I get that. And, you know, I've had a couple of authors. I remember back when we were in the two-hour days, I think the show was maybe six months old, I had this author come on. I finally got a hold of him about 28 minutes before we went to air. And literally he says, have you read my book? And I said, no, but I'm going to give you the best damn interview. He goes, I can't believe I got booked for a show that hasn't read my book. He goes, I don't think this is going to be a very good interview at all. And I'm pretty confident in what I do. And I literally said to him, well, you know what? I'm just making an executive decision 20 minutes before we go to air. I'm not putting you on the show. He goes, fine, I'll do it. He goes, just don't... Don't I probably won't be at my best. I said, no, you're not coming on. He goes, well, what do you mean? I said, dude, I'm the man of this show. You know, and I had to get a little prickish with him. And if you saw me, I actually use my fingers in quotes. They're prickish with him. And basically say to him, you know what? You don't dictate what happens on this show. I know there are famous authors. I would love to get on this program, but I haven't read their book. So explain to me where I have time. But you just can't do it. There's not enough time in the day. Well, I think that's the big thing. I think it's an unrealistic expectation. If you're doing five shows a, a week, how are you supposed to read the books of two or three authors that you have on every week? There, there's no time or no possibility to read that many books in one week and still prepare for a show and have a life. My wife would kill me. She would mm. kill me. <laughs> you know? Eric... You're someone who does a lot of reading. How important is it to try and maintain a balance of integrity with knowledge and research combined with, you know, having a guest who fully understands what the genre you're talking to is all about? Well, a lot of times you can go to the author page and, you know, face it, that's an ego, that too is an ego driven field. And you can probably glean anything you wanted off from their own website to do a baseline interview. And I mean, <laughs> and a lot of, you know, we've had guests that were self-starters. You ask them a question and lean back in the chair and half an hour later, they stop to draw a breath. So I think it's important to know at least a little bit about the person, but I don't think it's necessary. You have to read their book, you know, unless they send it to you. I don't think you're obligated to read their book. If they're writing an article, maybe you should write, you know, an article doesn't take that long to read, read that. But 
don't uh, I, I I think it's unfair of that person and rather egotistical of that person to think you have to read my book to talk to me about my book. I I don't I there's not a you know there's not a correlation there. You can read the blurb on the back of the book and be able to interview most of them. But that's where ego gets involved. And like I said, there is a, you know, we only got about 60 seconds here before we're going to go to break. But there's a certain doctor who likes his UFOs. Right. Who won't, I will not bring on this show. When I get an email back after requesting his presence on the show, and all I hear back is, how many listeners do you have? Not a hi, how are you? Thank you for your inquiry, nothing. Right? So it comes to the point, you know, when it comes to ego, whether it's an author, whether it's someone who has, you know, something going on that's interesting, that's where it gets, you know, is it about getting the message out or is it about lining your own pockets? And we'll get into that more right after this. You're listening to Space Out Radio Hour 1 Done. We're talking paranormal science, paranormal journalism of 2017 with Everett Themer and Eric Markham. You're listening to Spaced Out Radio. I'm your host, Dave Scott. We'll be back right after this. Would you like to become one of our space travelers? All you have to do is click on the Space Travelers icon at spacedoutradio.com. For only $5 a month, you can get access to some great prizes, as well as private monthly shows, newsletters, and a members-only section on our website. Become a space traveler today. Looking for news beyond the mainstream news? Head to spacedoutradio.com and check out the SOR Spacewire. This is Spaced Out Radio's Eric Markham, News Director for the SOR Spacewire. Daily, I will bring you intriguing stories and outlandish reports from what's going on around the world. UFO sightings, paranormal activity, conspiracies, alternative health, and so much more. And if you have news, email me at news at spacedoutradio.com. Have you had an experience you can't explain? Had a run-in with ghosts, maybe Bigfoot, or seen lights in the sky? Hi, I'm Mike Schmidt from the SOR Sight Lines. I'm here to investigate your sighting. Head to spacedoutradio.com and fill out a report on the sight lines. All your information is 100% confidential, and I will help you figure out what you've been seeing. File your report, and let's find out the answers together. Visit purpleplates.com today. For over 40 years, the Purple Energy Plates have been delivering amazing results for their many customers. Inspired by the great genius Nikola Tesla, the harmony, healing, and energetic effects of the plates have proven over and over to be beneficial and often miraculous to thousands of customers. With their money-back guarantee and the many benefits, how can you afford not to get one? Check their site for daily specials and choose from their many energy products. You won't be sorry. Visit them today at purpleplates.com for mind, body, and spirit, and expect a miracle. Greetings, space travelers. I am Dave Cruz, host of Beyond the Strange Radio, live every Sunday evening, 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 10 p.m. Eastern. Each week, we have special guests and talk about paranormal, bizarre, and strange topics mainstream just won't touch. Look for us on the Spaced Out Radio website or go to beyondthestrange.com for more information. And remember, don't be a stranger, just be strange. Asta. Are you interested in advertising on Spaced Out Radio? Head to our website at spacedoutradio.com 
and click on our advertising tab. There, you will find an assortment of ways you can get your product out there with us, from radio commercials to banners and social media. Have a product you like our hosts to endorse? We can do that too. Visit spacedoutradio.com for more details. Hi there. This is your medium, Joanna, from Spaced Out Weekend, Two Mediums and a Large. I would love it if you would come and join us with host James Tyson every other Sunday on Spaced Out Weekend. Together, we will take your calls and your questions live. Our goal is to provide you with a positive outlook on deep questions that you may have. Questions regarding love, relationships, money, or whatever else is on your mind. Come and check us out at spacedoutradio.com. The sounds of wood knocking in the forest. Odd happenings right out of a fictional world. These are the reports I love. Hi there, this is author Ronald Murphy. And I would love it if you'd join me and Spaced Out Radio host Dave Scott the second Wednesday of every month on our journey into the unknown land of cryptozoology at spacedoutradio.com. From Mothman to Frogman and everything in between. Hey, they don't call me the crypto guru for nothing. From British Columbia to Northern California, Pacific North Weird has Cascadia covered. Check out our feature videos at spacedoutradio.com where I... Vincent Zunza and my super sleuth partner Alexandra Sullivan track down the weird and strange stories from around the Pacific Northwest, from Bigfoot to Mel's Hole and everything in between. This is what makes life exciting. So why report the normal when we can report the Pacific North Weird? Right here at spacedoutradio.com. Oh, there's only one way to rock. Loud and proud. In high definition, Radio 702 Rocks, Las Vegas. Every Saturday and Sunday night, as Dave Scott wanders aimlessly in the wilderness, you can come hang out with me, James Tyson, and Spaced Out Weekend. Starting at 9 p.m. Pacific, midnight Eastern, I'll take you along as we talk with some of the best experts in their fields. Spacedoutradio.com is the place to find us. So sit down, relax, put your feet up, enjoy the topics like the paranormal, supernatural, intuitiveness, and so much more. Hope to see you there. The views and opinions expressed by tonight's guest and topic of discussion do not necessarily represent the official policy or position of Spaced Out Radio. Spaced Out Weekend, Spaced Out Radio Limited, its hosts, syndicated carriers, or anyone associated with this broadcast. Would you like to connect with us? Head to spacedoutradio.com for all your latest show info. And hit us up on Twitter using the hashtag SpacedOutRadio. Now, back to Dave Scott and SOR. Welcome back to the second hour of Space Out Radio tonight. I am your host, Dave Scott. Good to have you along for the ride. Tomorrow night on the show, we'll be talking with Bigfoot investigator Kathy Strain, 9 p.m. Pacific, midnight Eastern time. We're going to find out what the big hairy beast is all about. You can find us all live at spacedoutradio.com. Do us a favor, tell a friend. We want to welcome in everyone listening in on the United Public Radio Network, live on 107.7 FM in New Orleans and over 160 countries around the world. Our newest affiliate, Renegade Talk Radio out of Las Vegas. Good to have you along for the ride in my home away from home, Sim City. Absolutely love Vegas. And if you're listening in on Revolution Radio, remember the Double R Machine is a donation station financed by you, the valued listener. Do us a favor. Head on over to freedomslips.com and donate today. Bill Cardwell has set the password for 
the night in the SOR Space Travelers Club. Dendrochronological. Dendrochronological is your password. Make sure you use it wisely, Space Travelers, because it is extremely important to your membership. If you want to follow me on Twitter, you can do so at Spaced Out Radio. You can also use the hashtag Spaced Out Radio to get a question, a comment in. We are live and interactive on Twitter during this show. You can also give our Facebook page a like, Spaced Out Radio Show. On Instagram, I can be followed at Dave Scott, SOR. Subscribe to our YouTube channel, Spaced Out Radio Show. Tune us in on TuneIn, download this show and others on iTunes, and our website is spacedoutradio.com. While there, you have a plethora of features to go along with. A plethora. Everything from joining the SOR Space Travelers Club to listening to our resident guitar god, Mr. Ron Bumblefoot Thal, and his theme music for SOR, our Space Wire, and so much more. Check it out today, spaceoutradio.com. Everett Themer and Eric Markham are joining us. We're talking Paranormal Journalism 2017. Paranormal Science of 2017. Gentlemen, welcome back. Thank you. I have a question from Mario, and this is for you, Everett. And let me just find it here. I think, here it is. If you smell a story that is fishy or fake on the air, what do you do to reveal the credibility or uncredibility of the guest? I think that would be more geared towards you. I don't interview too many people on air. Oh, come on. He's asking you. Come on. Don't put me on the spot like that. Generally, I'm not always a very subtle person. And if I start to smell something that smells a little off, I'm not opposed to asking the direct question. As painful as that may be, and as much of a train wreck as that could possibly be, mm-hmm. that's typically what I would do. But that's what you have to do in in written journalism. You you can't skirt around the issues like that. Mm-hmm. What about you, Eric? What do you think on that? Well, I'm kind of I'm kind of blunt, and uh, I, I I think I'm I'm afraid I'm going to have to agree with Everett. It's just a matter of uh, knowing how to do it tactfully, and I'm not known for my tact, unfortunately. But uh, I think that there's there's questions that can be you can you can couch the disbelief in questions that make make your point, and there again it goes back to letting the guests pretty much destroy their own credibility. I don't really think that's our job people should be able to think critically and and know whether they're being fed a line of crap there's a difference between being entertained by a guest and being informed and i think that's where it's the audience's responsibility to decide where they they fall on that can i ask eric something though yeah please do yeah Okay, if if a host does that and does that repeatedly, while that may be the right thing to openly, you know, let them hang themselves or destroy their own credibility, if you get a reputation as somebody who's going to do something like that in a field where 
you basically just need to let people tell of their experiences and tell of their stories. Don't you think that that's a going to make it kind of hard to book guests or get guests and B sort of turn you into part of the spectacle of, Oh, these people are going to go on air and they're going to have their story ripped apart by this host. Well, if their story is sound, I don't think it's going to get ripped apart by the host. And here again, it, it's you're, you guys kind of pushed me out of my comfort zone. <laughs> it's something I'm going to have to rely on my gut feeling and my opinion to answer. In a in our field, what we what we're trying to do here in the paranormal, I think that there's. And I'm not sure what the approach is, but I think it's sort of a. Maybe I'm backtracking myself. Maybe it is our responsibility to put their views out there, but put the the guest views or what they're saying out there in such a way that the the listeners make the decision. Like Dave was saying, don't become part of the story, and that works as well with the you know the the voice interview as it does in print. And it's there's there's got to be a happy medium, and I'm not sure if I would know how to strike that. It's a tough tough scenario in order to do that, because when you have the audience expecting your best every night, and I can only deem this show, okay. But when you have the audience expecting your best every night that you're going to put on a performance. You have to be prepared for anything that goes on. And there's a couple ways you can do it. If you have a guest who you deem is fake or not telling the truth, or maybe they're just a 10-second answer type person, you have to work for it, man. There are times in this hot seat where I actually finish a show and I'm sweating because you have your 50, 60 questions prepared, and you burn through them in the first 35 minutes of the show. And you're looking at the clock saying, did that just go backwards? You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? And, and it's tough. But, I mean, when you have someone who gets so outlandish, and KJ is asking, what's the subject tonight? Paranormal journalism and paranormal science is the topic for tonight. When you have someone out there who is is very much telling a story that is just so wacky and so unbelievable you kind of have to sullenly or or snidely call bs on it without embarrassing them because you don't want that reputation of being that show that is going to you know try and act all howard sternish or alex jonesish in regards to blowing things out of proportion or making someone feel so belittled that they never do this again. Because real journalism doesn't have belittling that goes along with it. And I'm sure you guys would agree. Yes. Yeah, I think there's a big difference between challenging a story and belittling a guest. And I think you always have the right and responsibility to challenge the story. So, Everett, as we look to move this more into the scientific side, let's let's finish up the journalism side because 
I think in hour number three, where I'm going to open up the phone lines. I'm going to be rare. In hour number three, I'll open up the phone lines. And hopefully Skype will cooperate with us tonight. We're going to try it. But when we look at journalism heading towards 2017, people out there who are vlogging, blogging, writing journalism, going on Facebook, on social media sites, what should be the goal? What do we have to ascertain from this field in order to gain some credibility so that way people can say, look, you can trust this field? I think the main goal would be to tell the story without, like we said before, putting yourself into it, but tell it accurately. This field is so full of um, unbelievable statements and facts as it is that let's keep it down to the basics and, and let's keep it to the facts and what we know and not turn it into a spectacle where you know, everything is blown out of proportion and suddenly one ghost becomes five and, and that kind of thing. So do you think then, Everett, that we need to gather a bunch of people together and say, let's make this credible. Let's make this journey a place where people can trust the information. Because we don't have to walk too far down internet road to see the fear-mongering, the whitewashing of stories that is happening on the alternative side of the medium. Oh, I completely agree, and that's behind the scenes. That's what we're doing. We're we're putting together a team that is going to handle paranormal topics in a journalistic, researched way that uh, can be credible, can be believable, is not full of just the same story after story. You know, not everything's going to be a demon. That kind of thing. They're going to look at the stuff and research it and present facts as they know them. They may not always be the correct facts. They may be lied to. Something may be embellished that they've received, but it's going to be the correct facts that they know at the time. What do you think, heading towards, uh, as we look towards the year of 2017, which we're in now, Eric, what do you think is the biggest thing that maybe we need to change in paranormal journalism well i think one of the things that people need to keep in mind is that science doesn't have an end point and we're never going to have that last answer because every answer we come up with is going to lead hopefully is going to lead to more questions and i think that's one of the things we have to aim toward is there are there's answers we need to come up with along the line, but it's a continuing journey. This an, you know answer A should spawn its own plethora. <laughs> I'm going to use your word plethora of questions to dive into. I mean, that would be boring to me. The, the whole thing would be boring if you could come up with endpoint answers. And I think too many of the articles I read, these people are trying to say, we have the answer, and this is what it is. 
And I, there isn't going to be a summation answer. There shouldn't be. I mean, everything, if you read a paranormal article, when you get done with that, you should be thinking, hmm, what if, or what if we add this, or what if we go down this path? I mean, I think that's where we need to go, is get more people taking it seriously and more people looking for more questions to answer. So let's just talk about the alternative side of the media. We have people out there. I'll use Alex Jones's name because I've used it before on this show. There are people out there who are hosts that absolutely feel that we need to scare the hell out of the listeners. We need to fearmonger the listeners. We need them to believe that we are the only voice out there that is telling the truth. And you got to listen to us because you're not going to find it anywhere else. When did the fear-mongering start coming into play with everything? Because, yes, a lot of people are listening to these shows. Okay? And I know there's one nighttime talk show host. A lot of people love him. But all he talks about is, America, get your guns ready. They're coming for us. Get your bomb shelters ready. Dig in, dig deep, make sure you have your rations. We have another host on Alex Jones who goes online saying we have breaking news. The Super Bowl is rigged. And then comes on live and say the owners and the sponsors are the winners of the Super Bowl. Well, no kidding. You called breaking news to your audience for that? At what point do people need to wake up and start garnering proper information? Because we can put all of the onus on the hosts, especially on the alternative side, Everett. But at some point, we have to put some responsibility on the reader, the viewer, the listener, to not eat this crap up and and get their bullshit meter working properly. Right, and to give you a 10-second answer, I completely agree. But I think these people that act as journalists and and fear-monger with people, what they're doing is they're drawing an audience because people want to feel like they're in the know. They want to think that they're smarter than everybody else. So if they're watching this this host or reading this journalist or listening to a radio show that is fear-mongering, then they think that they're smarter than their neighbor because they have this inside information that only that host knows. I understand that, but at what point is the audience responsible for believing what they want to believe? They're always responsible for what they believe. It's it's always a responsibility to go out and find information and research and make your own decision. You, you know, people need to take their own responsibility and do more than listen to one person. And it's always been that way. It's sad that it's kind of fallen on to 
you know, these particular hosts. And, but that comes back to people want to think they're smarter than their neighbor. So they listen to one particular person because they believe he has that information. But the truth is they've always been responsible for themselves, their thoughts and, and what they learn and research and know. Mark, am I bring you in on this one? At what point does the fear-mongering become too much? Well, it's obvious that it sells. So, you know, the, the fear-mongering hosts are scratching an itch that a, a niche audience has. And I don't think that those the people that buy into that mm-hmm. ever want to be enlightened. I think that they are finding comfort in the fear-mongering. Mm-hmm. It gives them a focal point for all their anxieties and fears. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where niche, niche broadcasters and entertainers like Alex Jones, that's where they find their strength. They found a crowd to play to. And I can't for a minute believe that Alex Jones believes 90% of the filth that he spews. But... Mm-hmm. He has a dedicated core audience that does. Mm-hmm. Oh. True enough. I want to get to a couple comments from our listeners here. This one comes from Joe in the SMR Space Travelers Club. I'm not never know with Joe if it's if it's him or his awesome mane of hair that is actually asking. I wish he would clarify on that because Joe has some great hair. We always like to point out good hair on this show. Joe is asking maybe with Alex Jones and people like him. All the fear-mongering and blustering is just a way to stay at the top of the millions of blogs and posts that are on the Internet these days, sort of a way to keep from getting lost in the shuffle. Eric, what do you think about that? I think that's a very good point. I think that plays into what I was saying about, you know, there's things that sell. Sex sells, disaster sells, and rumor-mongering or uh, doom Doom saying sells, and the and I think Alex has figured out a way to exactly what they're saying. You know, he has figured out a way to rise to the top. He knows how to scratch that itch in that demographic that he's playing to. Niche or niche. Uh, I guess it depends on whether you've got a Midwestern accent. <laughs> uh, niche, niche, niche. I'm not sure. All right. I want to get to a couple other comments because there's, there's some really good ones here. Eric D in the Space Out Radio chat room is saying, the problem is how can one really know the truth about all things? We do have to get a certain amount of news or truth from the media. We can't do all the investigating as a single person. People do not have time. Everett. I agree. But when you get your news and you get multiple sources, instead of just watching one channel, I know there are people that have, you know, one channel on their TV 24 hours a day. Um, You need to get multiple sources and compare the, the, the stories from those sources and form your own opinion. Every story is going to be a little bit different, mm-hmm. and you need to pick out 
what you believe, what the facts are. If there's something that's consistent, then that's probably a fact. If one store or one source is just reporting something about it that's entirely off the wall or just doesn't seem to fit, you need to use your judgment and decide if you believe that part of it or not. Mm-hmm. And by using multiple sources, mainstream and alternative, mm-hmm. a person can be smart enough to form their own accurate opinion and decide what's news. Mm-hmm. Fully agree. I want to get to another couple comments here because I think there's some good ones. Desert Clam in the Space Out Radio chat room on Spreaker says, it's all shock and awe and sensationalism. And Wolfman Mike says, people like to be scared. Would you agree with that, Eric? Yeah, I think so. I I think there's a, you know, roller coasters haven't evolved into what they are because people don't like to have their adrenaline rush. Uh, Paramount didn't become the, and Castle Films didn't become the horror genre leaders because people, you know, there's a part of us, and I think the more we become civilized and you know, I think maybe deep down inside, there's that part of us that misses the the crack in the brush being the saber-toothed tiger about to strike. I want to say something in regards to this, you know, because there's so many different media outlets out there that are basically saying the same stories, and in certain points, they're even using the same scripts, okay? But this is what I have noticed, if you're in North America, doesn't matter where you are, vet your news sources. Take the time to go, if you're in the United States, check out the CBC in Canada. Check out the BBC in the United Kingdom. That's what I do. So, for instance, when I have someone coming on and says, oh, there's such and such happening in the world right now, or let's say Russia has invaded Peru just to make something out, I go to CNN first, I then check the CBC, then I go to the BBC. One of those three will have it. doesn't matter whether you like CNN or not, they, they're, they have a hard-on for breaking news. Then what I would suggest you do as a viewer, if you stay with your local stories rather than go to your national stories, the local stories are going to be more for the localized listener to understand. It's a truer form of journalism that's still left. So I would suggest that newspapers, I think right now the most accurate one would be online, which would be the Huffington Post. That's my opinion. But there's some out there that really, really still strive on journalism. Some of the big names. I think the LA Times is good. The Chicago Tribune is good. I used to think highly of both New York papers until they started choosing sides in elections. You know, that's not journalism to me. So... You have to vet your your journalism. And by God, if you're listening to the alternative journalism, you know, bring a toothbrush with you because your mouth will feel dirty afterwards for most of it. You know, make sure you brush your teeth. You know, so that's probably the best advice I can give in regards to that. You know, but as for the fear-mongering, yes, I think that 9-11 changed a lot of people. I think that it is something that has made a lot of people scared in regards to 
um, what they can and cannot use for true, true journalism. You know, and I understand where people don't know where to turn anymore. That's why a lot of people are cutting their cable out. That's why a lot of people are canceling their subscriptions to newspapers. It's not because we want to. It's that that we're sick of it, right? And that's what it goes but down then to. You, but then you start to just pick and choose one or two news sources that you're getting your your news from, and that's when you start to fall into you're not researching. You're, you're being force fed your opinions. You're being told what to think. And that's a horrible situation. It is. It is. You know, and you can only hope, and this is where I feel for people in the United States, okay, because you have all these different networks, and we'll focus on the television here side for a second. You have all these different networks that have chosen political sides. And when you have a taxpayer-funded journalistic institution, much like the CBC in Canada, much like the BBC, and I know there's others out there, but I'm going to use those two as the bigwigs, okay? When you have a taxpayer-funded reporting or station that gets that information out, you really, really have that opportunity to get the truth of the story. You know, and that's what is lacking in the United States, in my opinion, is that we do not, or you down there, do not have the ability to have that down-the-line, middle-of-the-road journalistic website or that journalistic channel, whether it's on radio or television, because it's not publicly funded. When things are publicly funded, the public does have a say. They do to an extent, but I think at least here in the U.S., if we had something, we have PBS, which doesn't really count. Um, If we had something like that that was publicly funded, I think a lot of people would look at it and say, oh, that's run by the government. Um, It's going to be skewed towards whichever party is in power right now. Eric, what's what's your thoughts? Well, for me, the news is a jumping-off point. It's 90% fluff and crap and white noise that I'm not interested in. It's that hidden nugget that stands out that makes me take a jot down a note, and then I go do some research, and I look. It makes me delve further. But I know people. My mom's one of them. She's one of those one-channel people. She turns on Fox at 6.30 in the morning and watches for hours. And it's like, finally, it's like, Mom, they haven't said anything new for the last three hours. What are you getting out of this? And I think it's almost like an addiction. I think there's something about it that... But your, I mean, mo- I- your mother, though, has found a channel that subscribes to her way of thinking. And that's the problem. Right. And I know my mom's not a stupid person. I mean, she's... But when it comes to how she 
entertains her mind, it I'm kind of a you know I'm kind of disturbed that she's become so narrowly focused on one thing. And I've noticed other people are. I work with people that you know as soon as they walk into the break room, they have to turn on CNN. You know, see what the you know see what the latest uh, whatever you know, or it's just. It's almost like they're addicted to the doom and gloom or the, I don't know if it's, geez, my life sucks, but I can go on CNN and see that somebody else's life sucks more. I, I, I don't, I personally don't get it. Let's move on to the science side of things here, guys, because I do want to spend some time with this before we open up the phone lines in hour number three, and I'll give the number at the top of the hour. The science is much like journalism, and, and that's why I chose both these topics for tonight and have you guys on, because I think they are one of the same, where we have a lot of opinion happening out in the field of research that is being misconstrued for actual scientific evidence. Let's take Bigfoot for a second here, Eric. Okay. We don't know what this creature is, but we do know that it is something that is walking around the forests of North America, if we just focus on North America here. We know it's happening. We know the sightings are real. I personally know. I've seen two. Okay? But we have a lot of researchers going out in the field who are conducting, quote, end quote, scientific research. Yet, they are eliminating possibilities because it does not sound real to them. If, if someone was to conduct scientific research in the field, what should be happening to conduct that research? Wow, that's going to be, with something that elusive, it's going to be hard to do a true scientific research. I mean, you, you've got to have your test subject, for one. And I've come to the conclusion through what you've said and what some of your guests have said that Bigfoot doesn't want to be studied. So, you know, until we evolve to a point where they trust us enough to do some research on them, and I don't think they're just dumb, shambling animals. I think these things are conscious, and I think they have more of a, I think they have more intelligence and more sentience than we give them credit for in a lot of cases. There's really no way there's ever really going to be a scientific study of Sasquatch without that creature's cooperation. And, you know, you can collect all the scat samples you want. You can collect all the hair samples you want. But until we get a living, breathing specimen willing to be jabbed with needles, have its blood drawn, you know, its skin scraped, there's, not, there's never going to be a scientific, a way to scientifically study it. It requires the, in this case, it, a scientific study requires the cooperation of the study subject. They're not like mountain gorillas where you can hide in a blind and acclimate them to you. These things actively avoid detection they're very good at it and we're just we're not going to break through that so to, to the short answer is i don't think there is 
there can be such a thing as a science a scientific study of Bigfoot at this time. I guess my concern with it is the fact, Eric, that we have a lot of people who, well, let's take for instance, there's been plenty of Bigfoot trails and footprints found walking along that just disappear, okay, in the snow or in the mud. We have people who believe that there is something a little bit more transcendent with Bigfoot, maybe on the interdimensional scale, shape-shifting scale, which First Nations believe. And yet those who are conducting this mainstream science say, that's hogwash. How are they eliminating that information without even researching it? Well, there again, it's it's pseudoscience to start with, as far as what they you know the so-called probably the only person I would hold out as a true scientist in the Bigfoot field is Jeff Meldrum, and through his university you know his his role in academia, he can approach it more scientifically than the weekend warriors who go out with their cameras and their tape recorders. But even still, having a closed mind going into this, you're not going to find, you know, you're, you're, you're shutting the door on the answers you're looking for by taking away the questions. The only way even to marginally do this is to go out there and try to rule out everything, not... I think that's one of the problems with these researchers. They're not trying to rule out any particular viewpoint. They're trying to prove their own, and if your data or your belief doesn't bolster their opinion, it's not to them, it's no longer, it's not valid information, and that's not the way it's done. You rule things out. Okay, is Bigfoot multidimensional? Figure out a way to rule that out. Don't throw it out, you know, don't just say, well, that's not, that can't happen. We don't know what can happen. You know, it's a wide open field. We, you know, for all we know, they, you know, eat sassafras and pee gasoline. I mean, we don't have enough knowledge to write anything off. So that's where the research is falling flat. They're not going at it with this questioning attitude. A lot of them are just, we want to prove that Bigfoot is uh, gigantopithecus. So anything that doesn't fall into that basket is, is being left behind. A team needs to go looking at this thing as, what is it? Let's not even assume that it's a, a bipedal you know, mammal. <laughs> you know, Let's look at, you know, it could be a reptile with hair or feather. You know, we don't know. We really don't know. So go at it with, let's just, let's gather the data. Is it multidimensional? So is there a way to detect if something is fading in and out of our reality? Look into that. Figure out how to detect that. You know, the, the, the paranormal could create a quantum leap in technology if the researchers were out there trying to 
come up with questions. If they were trying, they were fi- uncovering parts of this. If you want to know something, how something is, or if something can be detected, you build a detector. You use imagination. That old saw about, you know, necessity is the mother of invention is true. And I'm afraid that so much has just gotten to be, if you can't buy it off a store shelf, you don't need it. And that's crap. Well, you know, where are the inventors? Where are the people out there looking for questions, you know, looking for answers to their questions and building gear to, to do it? I mean, I don't, has there been anything new on the detector market in decades that's just not rehashed old Tesla technology or just, you know, 50s technology? Nobody's out there. We have, we have iPhone apps. Yeah. Well, even that is limited by the platform it's on. It's not, you know, the uh, iPhone, you know, give a devil its due, but an iPhone is not a tricorder. Like, you know, and there are people are trying to act like, you know, this thing does all, all that. And as far as the ghost hunting apps, you know, just to single that out, some of the ghost hunting apps, I mean, okay, it shows a dot on a screen. But, <laughs> you know, I guess that for entertainment value. But, you know, I'm, I'm looking at building some equipment because I have questions. This morning, case in point, I got off work, and I always, you know, lay down and read a little bit. And I have a cat, the one in my avatar, if you're on Spreaker. He'll lay on my shoulder, and just, you know, while I'm reading, that's where he wants to lay. All of a sudden, he started looking to my right at the closet wall in the bedroom. And he went from purring contentedly to upright, ears perked forward, and he ran. Okay, what just happened? He saw something I didn't. Something freaked the cat out. I look over, go, you know, open doors. I'm looking for something. I can't see anything. All right, I need to figure out where the cat's visual range is. And I need to come up with some kind of camera that sees into that spectrum. Because that cat saw something or heard something that just freaked him out. And he's not like, that doesn't happen. It was a very unusual thing. So I spent the day scrounging around looking for parts and looking for sources. And looking into what's the spectrum they think cats see in. Because I'm going to build some kind of detector and aim it at that thing. You know, uh, that's what needs to happen. People need to start, you know, building the the gear or adapting what's out there to further the study. I want to get to Joe's comment here because Joe is a scientist by trade as well in the SOR Space Travelers Club. Great hair again by Joe. He says, the only way to scientifically investigate the afterlife is to go to the location and flatline. 
Once you're dead, you can wander around and talk to the spirits. The only scientific way to examine cryptids is to go into the woods, buck naked with nothing but a rock and a pointy stick for about a month, get back to nature, and live as Bigfoot. If you want to study aliens, first you need to steal a UFO. You know, and I note the sarcasm in there. But I think there's some truth to that. I mean, who remembers the 80s movies? You know, Flatliners. That was an incredible movie with Kevin Bacon. I think Julia Roberts was in that, too. And Kiefer Sutherland. Yeah, that was a very good movie. You know, and when I look at... I think, wasn't it one of the Baldwins as well? Either way, doesn't matter. Yeah. You know, but the whole point is... We have people out there who have had near-death experiences, seen family and friends. You know, maybe they're too caught up in the moment to ask those questions. But wouldn't a scientific study, Eric, like Flatliners, what that movie was about, wouldn't that be conducive to maybe trying to figure out what the hell is going on on the other side? Well, I think the ethics of, you know, killing people (laughs) to give them a near-death experience would get in the way. Uh there's some there's been some research on you know near death experiences that is pretty compelling there's a neurosur i think you actually had him on as a guest there's a neurosurgeon who is an advocate of you know there's more to a life after death or a near death experience happening there's some actual mainstream scientists out there who are gathering data but the problem is so much of it is anecdotal because, and yes, maybe everybody's got a similar thing, but that doesn't rule out a biological source. In order to really study that phenomenon, I think you'd have to find somebody who's willing to let you kill them while they're in an MRI or a a CAT scanner or, you know, pretty much drive them down to where their life signs are negligible to see what happens. I think we have enough people in prison, child molesters, things like that, who could volunteer for it. That would probably skew the results because would that population necessarily have a positive near-death experience? If what some you know what some people believe is your afterlife is what you think it's going to be, somebody in prison and <laughs> probably not thinking they're going to have the best of the best afterlife there is, if they even believe in one. But that shouldn't really affect, excuse me, that shouldn't really affect the results, though. I mean, what I believe my afterlife is going to be shouldn't affect a scientific study on what the afterlife really is. Uh, I think to a point it would, because it depends on how we're, now if we're not basing it on verbal interview, if we're basing it on somebody being hooked up where all their brain waves are being monitored, uh, possibly inside a MRI or probably a CAT scanner, looking for active areas or looking for... It's just it. We, there's no baseline to know. Maybe some researcher needs to do somewhat like... The, he's been disproven, but there was a guy who did studies on people who were about to die back at the turn of the century... Uh, I believe he used TB victim, you know, TV people with terminal tuberculosis, 
and he had this elaborate system of weights that when they drew their last breath, he would trip this lever and it would weigh, I think it came out to be like 0.21 ounces. or Anyhow, there, he was trying to say that the soul was measurable. Well, I think he was largely disproven, but using today's technology, maybe somebody gets a study together and says, okay, maybe you have indigent patients that are terminal. You give them hospice care. You make their end as comfortable as it can be. They agree to let you analyze that moment of death using, you know, whatever technology you can think of that might be, you know, you start with a CAT scanner and an electroencephalogram. That should open up a doorway to, okay, what's going on here? Do some brain chemistry studies, you know, in a stepwise way. You know, how many people die of, you know, cancer and other long-term illnesses every year? Maybe that's a pool of, you know, people that we can make a arrangement with and a do it in a moral, ethical way. You make it sound so romantic. Mm. <laughs> it, Just, it opens up so many questions. Well, like, okay, what are you thinking? Give me a, give me an idea of what this question. Because I see well, it from one point of view. Let me hear what, what you're thinking. Anytime anybody does a study, there's always somebody who then claims that you know their methods were faulty, their equipment isn't tested, they're, they're not using the proper methods. How does in the scientific community, somebody come to a consensus or an agreement on what would be the proper way to study this when in the paranormal community, the scientists, you know, always say, well, this piece of equipment isn't tested. We don't know what this really does. This kind of becomes scientists studying the paranormal. How do they come to a consensus on what would be the accurate way to study that. Okay, you would take proven... Okay, no doctor or scientist is going to dispute a CAT scan because, because if it's done under clinical circumstances, everything about that CAT scan is recorded. The voltage used, the, the gauss, everything is documentable and reproducible. It's using that kind of scientific approach, that kind of experimental data. You know, you can't get... And if you have a critic, you say, hey, put up or shut up. You know, it, it's easy to sit there as an armchair critic and say, well, you didn't take this to, into account. Well, come into the study and sh show us how it's done then. And as soon as that person starts working on it, there's going to be a critic to his approach. And you just chase these down one by one. And eventually you're going to come up with this irrefutable pool of data that shows this or, you know, it's going to, it's going to say this outcome 
is going to happen when we do this. That's the whole idea of peer-reviewed science is you critique and you find loopholes. That's how it's supposed to work. But unfortunately, it's become a let's shout down the research we don't approve of. And that's what's bad, what's wrong. But Eric, if you have all of these people and these scientists and doctors doing these studies in regards to you know, using people in a humane way from, say, a hospice society where they're about to die. We want to get those facts. We want to get those figures. We want to catalog them. How do we get with what they are seeing on the other side if we don't bring them back? Good question. Okay. <clears throat> well, once... I don't have a good answer for that. I don't. I'm thinking of it as seeing what happens at the time of death, but not. Maybe that approach wouldn't work. See, that's that's why these kind of discussions are so important. You know, you you go into a, a you go into a situation with one mindset, and all it takes is one question, like what you just did. To upset the entire apple cart, and it's like, well, wait a minute, that experimental approach might be not be what we're looking. That's the kind of that's the kind of dialogue that's missing in science these days. I think you need to come up, or somebody has to donate like fifty million dollars, where you can give fifty people a million dollars in case they do die, so that way their families are taken care of to volunteer for this study. You know and see what's on the other side. I think that's the only way to do it. You can't yes, wait for trauma. You can't wait. I want healthy people lined up, much like those people who were, who were lining up to, to be on the first expedition to Mars, knowing they would never come back. Those are the type of people I want for this. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. I mean, make it... Well, that's what it's going to take is somebody with more money than sense that wants to... <laughs> Wants to find an answer. And I'm surprised that that hasn't been done. I can't believe it hasn't been. It's probably just the data has been kept private. I would have to think somebody getting long in the tooth who had a, you know, made their millions by screwing others would have a interest in knowing, you know, you'd want to know, gee, do I need to repent now or can I just keep doing what I'm Somebody has probably done something like that. But yeah, I think if there's a, a way of doing it in such a way that you don't traumatize the person, and you know, there's nothing more traumatic than killing somebody, I think if maybe you've got to determine, okay, are we talking clinical death, legal death? How, how do you do that? I mean the Flatliners exper the, the Flatliners movie explored that, but in truth, the unpredictability of you know somebody's going to want to make sure they come back, and if they're not dead for a long enough time, how are we going to you know rule out that it was just the last vestiges of their brain chemistry firing? So it's going to have to require somebody looking into a reliable way of suspending life force and then reliably bringing that, you know, 
finding an on-off switch. That's what it's going to take before that's that. I think before that can actually go anywhere. And that's the key to find that on-off switch. I got a quick question here from Joe, and if we have to continue it into the next hour that is fine and it is and we'll start with you on this one eric what is the opinion of the connects body mapping that some of the ghost hunter groups are using the same technology that video games use to track your motion well in order my take on that is if a laser array is detecting something as it moves through a room there has to be something to detect. It's not going to just be an air current. Or, you know, has anybody tested that type of technology to see if, you know, when you look over, you got a barbecue going and you look across the charcoal, you see the heat waves. Do these devices pick up that? Are they picking up an actual entity of some kind or are they just taking picking up an ambient uh, heat source or some kind of disturbance in the air. I think more has to be looked into before we hop on that bandwagon. I think more has to be done and more, you know, more data has to be collected in a controlled environment. Here again, paranormal. How do you have a controlled environment when you're, t- you're studying something as random and as unpredictable. But, you know, that's where we have our problem. But I guess you can simulate. Well, hold on. Let me cut you off here because we're running out of time. We're going to go to commercial. The Skull Experiment did prove that, but nobody took it seriously. And we'll get into that right after this. Hour number three of Space Out Radio with Everett Themer and Eric Markham coming up right after this. The SOR Sightlines is a place for you to find answers to your strange experiences. Hi there, this is Mike Schmidt. If you have had an encounter with ghosts, UFOs, Bigfoot, ETs, or anything else that doesn't make sense, head to spacedoutradio.com and file a Sightlines report. All information you give is 100% confidential, and I will personally help you find the answers you need. SOR Sightlines, your answers are a click away. Greetings and salutations, space travelers, from the Chronicles of the Unknown team. What is Chronicles of the Unknown? I keep hearing about this thing. It's a new paranormal reality TV show based right here in beautiful British Columbia, Canada. Follow our team as we uncover claims of activity on the Caribou Gold Rush Trail. You can also follow us here every third Monday where two members of our team will be available to answer your questions. We'll give you some equipment updates and some of our experiences on the road, right here on Spaced Out Radio. Hi there, I'm Butch Witkowski, lead investigator with the Cop. On the final Monday of every month, you can listen to me and host Dave Scott on Spaced Out Radio's Strange Days. We're going to get to the heart of the matter when it comes to what's happening out there. People are seeing and experiencing things from ET contact to Bigfoot, and I want to hear about it. Your experiences are what we investigators need to help solve these unknown mysteries. So tune in at spacedoutradio.com to the final Monday of every month from Butch Wachowski's Strange Days. Visit purpleplates.com today. 
For over 40 years, the Purple Energy Plates have been delivering amazing results for their many customers. Inspired by the great genius Nikola Tesla, the harmony, healing, and energetic effects of the plates have proven over and over to be beneficial and often miraculous to thousands of customers. With their money-back guarantee and the many benefits, how can you afford not to get one? Check their site for daily specials and choose from their many energy products. You won't be sorry. Visit them today at purpleplates.com for mind, body, and spirit, and expect a miracle. This is your medium, Joanna, from Spaced Out Weekend, Two Mediums and a Large. I would love it if you would come and join us with host James Tyson every other Sunday on Spaced Out Weekend. Together, we will take your calls and your questions live. Our goal is to provide you with a positive outlook on deep questions that you may have. Questions regarding love, relationships, money, or whatever else is on your mind. Come and check us out at spacedoutradio.com. Have you checked out the SOR Spacewire at spacedoutradio.com yet? Every day we post the latest stories regarding the weird, strange, and completely unbelievable. From cryptid and UFO sightings to the conspiracy world, we tackle it all. Hi there, I'm Eric Markham, Space Out Radio's news director for the SOR Spacewire. And if you have a story, I want to hear it. Email me at news at spaceoutradio.com. Patrolling the Pacific Northwest, we are always on the lookout for the strange and unassuming stories that real people are experiencing. Hi, I'm Vincent Zunza from Pacific North Weird. Me and Alexandra Sullivan have teamed to bring to you those odd stories that never seem to make it into the mainstream. Stories so weird that we'll leave you scratching your head wondering, is this real? It's as real as it gets with Pacific North Weird. You can watch our videos right here at spacedoutradio.com. Become more intimate and interactive with Spaced Out Radio. Join our Space Travelers Club with your new membership. For $5 a month, we'll provide you with special access to the website, monthly prize draws from books to psychic readings, along with monthly newsletter, private interviews, and more. Sign up today to be part of Spaced Out Radio's experience. Every month on Spaced Out Radio, we look into the deep and dark reports of cryptids roaming around the world with me, Rob Morphy, from Cryptopia.us. I would love it if you would join me and host Dave Scott as we delve into the most arcane stories and reports regarding creatures of the unknown. My job is to hunt down the details and bring the evidence forward to you. These aren't your regular Bigfoot stories I'm talking about either. You can find out more about crypto history at spacedoutradio.com. Looking for a place to advertise at a very reasonable cost? Look no further than Spaced Out Radio. Spacedoutradio.com has an advertising tab that you can click to check out our daily, weekly, and monthly packages to play on the radio or our website, including social media. From commercial spots to banners, we have it all. Check out our competitive pricing today. You hear footsteps in the empty room above you. A rocking chair begins rocking by itself. Don't be afraid of the things that go bump in the night. Reach for Spirit Story Box. The iPhone app the Huffington Post UK called the only ghost hunting app you will ever need. Spirit Story Box. The spirits are telling their stories. Are you listening? Strange creatures lurking in the night, the sounds of wood knocking in the forest, odd happenings right out of a fictional world. These are the reports I love. Hi there, this is author Ronald Murphy. 
And I would love it if you join me and Spaced Out Radio host Dave Scott the second Wednesday of every month on our journey into the unknown land of cryptozoology at spacedoutradio.com. From Mothman to Frogman and everything in between. Hey, they don't call me the crypto guru for nothing. Did you know that Spaced Out Radio runs seven days a week? Hi, it's James Tyson from Spaced Out Weekend. Every Saturday and Sunday night, starting at 9 p.m. Pacific, midnight Eastern, you can join me and my guests for some great chatter about what's going on out in the universe or even in that dark part of the basement you really don't want to go back into. Well, let's find the answers to your experiences together. So come on up to Uncle Jimbo's cabin on the weekend. For more information, look us up at spacedoutradio.com. The views and opinions expressed by tonight's guest and topic of discussion do not necessarily represent the official policy or position of Spaced Out Radio. Spaced Out Weekend, Spaced Out Radio Limited, its hosts, syndicated carriers, or anyone associated with this broadcast. You're listening to Spaced Out Radio with Dave Scott. Follow Dave on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio and hashtag Spaced Out Radio. And on Facebook, Spaced Out Radio Show. Now, back to the program. Welcome back for hour number three of Spaced Out Radio tonight. I am your host, Dave Scott. Good to have you along for the ride as we finish off hour number three. Our show is always live, Ophidian, for three hours every single night, seven days a week at spacedoutradio.com. Tomorrow night on the show, we're going to talk Bigfoot. Kathy Strain will join us. We're going to get into her research into Sasquatch. 9 p.m. Pacific, midnight Eastern Time, we get going live. We want to thank everyone listening in on Renegade Talk Radio, our newest affiliate of Spaced Out Radio, carrying this one live. Yes, broadcasting live out of Las Vegas, my home away from home. If you're listening in on the United Public Radio Network, live on 107.7 FM in New Orleans or 160 countries around the world, good to have you with us. Thank you for tuning us in. And if you're listening in on Revolution Radio, remember the Double R Machine is a donation station financed by you, the valued listener. Do me a favor. Head on over to freedomslips.com and donate today. Bill Cardwell has set the password for tonight in the SOR Space Travelers Club. Dendrochronological. Dendrochronological is your password. Make sure you use it wisely, Space Travelers. That's what it's for. Take it easy on it as well. We don't want to scare people with it. If you want to follow me on Twitter, you can do so at Spaced Out Radio. You can also use the hashtag Spaced Out Radio. And that will get you into some questioning, into some comments. I'm live right there, right now. You can also give our Facebook page a like, Spaced Out Radio Show. On Instagram, follow me at Dave Scott SOR. Subscribe to our YouTube channel, Spaced Out Radio Show. Tune us in on TuneIn, download this show and others on iTunes and our website, which has a plethora of features for you, is spacedoutradio.com. While there, check out our music from Bubblefoot, read up on the SOR Spacewire, my latest blog, fill out an SOR Sightlines report if you've had something weird and strange happen you can't explain, and of course, you can sign up for the SOR Space Travelers Club. It is fantastic. It's an elusive club that we all like to be a part of. We bring in Everett Themer and Eric Markham back into Space Out Radio land now. Gentlemen, welcome. Glad to be here. We've been talking all night about paranormal journalism. We've been talking about also paranormal science and where it should go 
for 2017, as we've just started out this year. We're also going to do something rare on this show. I'm hoping, hoping that Skype is going to play favorable for us. And that is our phone number, 1-702-302-4556, 1-702-302-4556. If you want to call in, we will take live callers, if you want. That's up to you. If not, we'll just continue to banter the way we have been all night long. But the main thing is, when we get to the science of everything... Eric, I'm very concerned about this whole opinion versus fact thing, okay? I really am. I just don't see, if we even focus on the paranormal for a moment, we see a lot of these paranormal groups out there who say they are conducting scientific research to what paranormal activity is. Scientific research. Yet you ask them what are they experimenting on, they can't tell you. You ask them what they are doing, what what they are doing after they collect their evidence, they can't tell you. So is it true scientific research what these thirty six thousand plus paranormal teams in the U.S. alone are doing? Uh, highly unlikely. It's technological. <laughs> They're using technology. And I think what a trend that disturbs me in the paranormal field is it's the latest gadget that you can bring into the field. And there, yes, there's, there's room for that, but it, it's become about the gadget, not about the research. And if, you know, there's no, there's no governing body. There's no place that you can submit the research and have it peer-reviewed because there's no peerage. So there's really, unless you had a central, if you're doing microbiology research, you submit to the American Society of Microbiologists. It's peer-reviewed, kicked back to you with, the you know, like Everett was saying, did they take this, you know, that's where you get the critiques and that's where you get the comments, did you take this into account? We don't have that. So even at the best, we're using a technological approach. But I don't see that probably any of them are doing a scientific study. I do want to say we did have a caller try calling in here. For some reason, I couldn't add it to the group call. So I am going to call them back. Let's see who it is. I don't know who this is. We're going green here. And for some reason, that's not letting me as well. God, I hate Skype. I don't understand this. I really don't understand why this happens on a continual basis. Weird. Weird. i got to figure this part out. Maybe we won't be taking calls tonight because Skype is being a little bit of a jerk here. Damn jerk, Skype. You see me right now. I'm shaking my fist at it. You know, let me add you guys, fine. Why will it not allow me to add in another call? I'm going to try this again. Let's see if I can do it this way. 
do do do. We may hear a ringtone. Let's hopefully no, it's not gonna let me. Now why will this not let me? I don't know. Weird. Well, that's a pain in the ass. Kind of hard to open up the phone lines if Skype isn't working. There's frustration out of old Davy's voice right there. Maybe we're not supposed to do that. Can I call and ask uh, Eric a question? Sure. <laughs> You've already called in. Caller, who is this? <laughs> Eric, talking about you know peer review, how would you suggest the paranormal community goes about even trying to attempt something like that? Because right now, everybody's just running around chasing their tails and then sort of putting their evidence out there, you know, to be the center of attention for a little bit. And then the evidence just goes away. How do we go about setting up something that's a parent or a peer reviewed kind of situation? Yeah, without the cooperation of the researchers, you wouldn't be able to. I think it's going to come down to follow the money. It's going to take a board that is willing to fund research. Because if you're paying for research, you have a right to dictate the controls, or at least maybe not dictate the specific controls, but you have to dictate that certain controls are in place. It just but can't don't we sort of... Ha- Go ahead. Don't don't we sort of have something like that with what is it the American Parapsychological Association or and they they seem to be almost irrelevant in terms of paranormal research anymore. Well, I don't think they're. I think they were trying to do it the cheap way. You know, if we were to attack, say the, hang on just a second. <clears throat> Sorry. Uh, I think if we were going... It's going to take a effort. Somehow, it's going to take a board or it's going to take a ruling body that has some grant money and a budget and a way of putting, you know, Reviewing the data, you know, you're going to have to have uh, audiologists, uh, physicists. You're going to have to have some mainstream science types that can take the data that's being supplied. And that costs money. I mean, I don't know, you know, look at the moon. Uh, NASA, when they went to the moon, it wasn't a volunteer organization. And it's, you know, we're, we're asking one of the most fundamental questions to humanity. What ha- you know, is there something after life? But there's no, there's no funding. There's no, there's no directed research. It's just everybody that's curious about it going out there and trying to find something. That's the problem. We don't have a focused department, not department, you know, but there's not a foundation that's saying we want to prove this, let's go about, or we want to do this. And, 
you know, being the, the motivator. That, and I don't think, I don't know the answer to how we can get past that. You know, if I win the lottery, yeah, dude, I'm on it. <laughs> the Markham Foundation for Afterlife Studies is going to be the first thing I do. But at this point, there isn't a situ- there isn't a, a, a guiding organization. And it's, it's going to take money. You're going to have to have, uh, you're going to have to have CAT scan time. Uh, it's like astronomy where you have to sign up for telescope time. It, until we can set things up in such a way that there are controls in place, it's not going to happen. And there again, it's going to take money. I'm researching during your answer in regards to this whole Skype issue. I may have to redo Skype on my system. So I'm going to have to do that after the show. Unfortunately, we are not going to be able to take callers tonight because Skype does want to be a little bit cranky. So I do apologize for teasing you with the callers and not being able to do it. But let us continue on with tonight's show. Everett, when you hear Eric talk about the money and the research that needs to be put out there, and it kind of ties into the whole journalism side as well, why do you think so many people or so many companies, researchers, are fearful about delving any type of dollars into making quality research, whether it's on the journalism side or the scientific side of this field? I think that it's partially because it's still kind of a fringe topic. And I think a big part of people not wanting to dump a ton of money into it is what is the actual return on this? If we prove that ghosts exist, how does any company make any money off that? Once we have the answer, there's no need for the equipment. There's no need for all this new technology that people are buying So it's not really a good investment for a company to invest in actually finding the answers. Hmm. I can understand that. You could say the same thing about cancer, though. And that's a whole kettle of worms or kettle of fish that I am not getting into because I'll go off on a rant and next thing you know, you know, I'll be swearing on the air. And we'll get shut down, and there'll be people knocking at my door. You know, you know how it goes. Are you guys still there? Well, he's making me think about that. I think once you, here's the angle I'm coming up with. You've got a limited. You've you've got a limited pool of people buying this product out there. You know, trying to prove ghosts exist. Once you prove that they exist, I think more people are going to want to see that for themselves. And maybe, you know, you would see a spike in sales of the, of whatever gear, you know, whatever thing was out there that made the, you know, made the aha moment happen. Might be another way to look at it. Until somebody 
commercializes it and you can go to a theater or an auditorium and, you know, experience it in mass um, and you don't need the equipment at all. Hmm. Good point. That's what I love about these kind of discussions because it just makes, it opens up the variables and it, it, it creates more questions. I'm, I'm not sure if the theater, God, how, like a 3D theater experience. I don't think people would go for that necessarily because it would be too much taken out of their hands, so to speak. You don't. You don't do anything. You're not doing it for yourself. You're not finding this answer for yourself. You're having it spoon-fed. So I don't think the the gear would necessarily, you know, the device would necessarily fall out of, you know, there's going to be the, yeah, there's going to be the one, the thrill seekers that want to do the movie type experience, but there's still going to be that core of people want to do it themselves. I think there's always a do-it-yourself mentality in any field. And I, I think that would be where the gear, the people who make the gear would have to market to that do-it-yourself crowd. But then what's the next novelty? Once we all know and it's been proven that ghosts exist and, you know, everybody goes through their little time of talking to this person from the other side and this and that, what's, what's the next step for the paranormal? What's the next novelty? Does it just go away and become commonplace? No, it'd be... Uh... The telephone never became a novelty and went away. It evolved. And I think what you would see is in the case of bidirectional communication with the afterlife, you would see that initial device evolve. And Lord knows where it would take, you know, take us from there. It might start just being uh, talking to grandma on the phone. But, you know, where would it go from there? You know, I think the bigger implications I think the bigger implications would be with with religion and people's views once we developed something like that. Well, re- religion people take for granted that religions last forever and here's where you know how long did the Egyptians think that they had the answer with Isis and Osiris? You know, how long was did uh the Babylonians have Marduk. And what I'm getting at is religions either have to evolve or they disappear. Christianity is a kind of a new, you know, it's a, the new kid on the block when you think about it because it sprang from the Abrahamic traditions, the Jews and the Muslims and, you know, the early monotheistic religions Christianity became an offshoot of established religions. Now, if we open up a way to communicate with the other side, Christianity is either going to have to evolve to meet that challenge, make itself relevant, or it's going to go the way of ISIS, you know, ISIS and Mithraism. I mean, that's just the way it, it, it happens. You know, and it's true that no religious foundation likes to see itself, you know, 
put out to pasture, but it happens. Let me ask you this then, because I think you brought up a very good point with what you were stating. There, there comes an education factor in all of this as well. Most people who are looking into the paranormal phenomenon, I'm using that as an umbrella term with ghosts, with cryptids, with UFOs and aliens, they don't have the educational background. They have more of a street smarts that goes with it. Could that be the reason why many people, Everett, do not take this seriously is because there really is no bachelor's degree of parapsychology. There is no bachelor's degree of ufology or cryptozoology. What do you think? I think it could play a a factor in some individual investigators or researchers, you know, credibility. But I also think that whatever your education is, if you're doing research and what you're presenting is intelligent and clear and concise, I don't think your educational background is a hindrance, whether it be, you know, master's and doctorate degrees or a high school diploma. I understand that, but we have people out there who will say you need that education, that that certificate, in order to have some sort of credibility with the research you were doing. I can understand that. I, I, I get that. But like you said, there are no real degrees in any kind of paranormal study. So I guess, you know, I, the closest thing would be the sciences or psychology but again, I think on the street level, the, the average investigative team, if their evidence and what they are presenting is reasonably well-written, concise, and, and intelligently you know, formatted, I don't think, at least in this field, I don't think it's a giant hindrance because there are no experts. There is nobody that can really, really say they are, you know, they have a doctorate in, you know, ghost hunting. So you can argue the point, but if you're trying to say that you need a huge education to do this, then show me your background. Show me what kind of, you know, paranormal certificate you have. I don't see it being you know, a big debate, whether it's a Harvard degree or a Sprott-Shaw Community College degree. I don't see that being a big difference. But, Eric, I'm bringing you in here now. Do you think the lack of certification from an education system really draws a line between people taking this research seriously or taking it as just a bunch of people who are going out there being weekend warriors looking for something. I think the, the by and large the uh the perception is that it's the weekend warriors. But there have been many great scientific advances that were brought about by people who were not classically trained scientists. I'm thinking Faraday, for instance. He was a you know he was not the you know the 
standard Oxford educated, you know, scientist and because he was able to think outside of the box without the baggage that being an Oxford trained or, you know, Cambridge trained, he came to it with a fresh look and discovered all kind of different things that, you know, mainstream, the so-called mainstream educated scientists would have probably never even considered. Too much of education in the sciences is this exists, this does not. So that by the time you get out of it, you're already programmed to only think within a box. And I, I think it's going to take that skilled, innovative layman who makes that breakthrough that you know has that aha moment that's going to be that's going to be where the breakthrough comes in and that's where this this whole field's going to gain its you know get its legs and, and catch its stride it's going to take that imaginative person with an interest and a passion in the science without necessarily being a classically trained scientist Or even if they are a classically trained scientist, somebody who came up a different way. Maybe they got their education later in life. And that allows them to see with an unvarnished set of eyes. Mm -hmm. Everett, what's your thoughts? I agree. I I think I... uh, it's hard to be a classically trained scientist in the paranormal field. I think that as people present their evidence, it would help if, you know, the highly educated would be a little bit more open-minded and not just look at something and go, oh, well, this is from some, you know, Yahoo who doesn't have any degrees or anything. Um, and, and look at it a little bit more open-mindedly and consider it. Got a question from Joe in the SOR Space Travelers Club. Joe is asking, any thoughts on the possibility of ever catching a ghost? Eric, do you want to start with that one? Do we still have Eric? It is microphone. Yeah. There you are. Yeah, that's, I think in order to catch a ghost, if we knew what a ghost was, yes, we could capture it. Because any kind of energy out there or any kind of any kind of matter has a way to be you know, contained for the most part. So, yeah, I th- I think if we knew what one was, we could capture it. But by the same token, do we do we morally want to do that? I mean, we're dealing with somebody who was a human being, you know. So, do ghosts still have human rights? Would we be no you know no better than the UFO abductors if we just captured a ghost? Hmm. We might be one of those evil abductees. Everett, what do you think? 
Do you think we need to ca- learn or figure out how to capture a ghost? Do we got to go all Ghostbusters, bring in Bill Murray and Dan Aykroyd? I think we need to prove they exist and figure out what they are first before we can even talk about capturing one. And once we did, uh, I, I agree with Eric. I mean, ethically, morally, if we treat these and talk about these entities as if they're former living beings and former people, we really don't have the right then to just go and capture them in whatever we're going to capture them in. Um, I think there's a big ethical and moral question there. That's if you believe a spirit is a soul. Oh, what else would it be? Yeah. Well, yeah. I have no idea. Residual residual energy? Now, if it was just a residual energy, like a recording trapped in time with no consciousness and no... uh, If we discover that that it's it's non-interactive, maybe that could be something we could capture. But I think if it's a... If it's sentient and knows that it's existing in this other plane, I don't think we have, uh, I don't, without its cooperation, I don't think we have any business trying to capture it. But then I think we kind of need to decide what a ghost is. Is residual energy then a ghost? Is a spirit, you know, a former human um, a ghost? Are they two different concepts entirely we we have to formulate what a ghost actually is that goes back to my original statement is before we can capture one we have to identify what constitutes a ghost we may find out that what we've been throwing under the broad spectrum uh, or you know under this wide net we say ghost okay you maybe we have to define a ghost as a non-conscious, non-corporeal entity that replays an event that's trapped in some kind of energy loop that has no consciousness of what it, no evolving consciousness. Okay, call that a ghost. Something that can come in and out of existence and interact with us, maybe that's a spirit. And once we find our, our definitions... Then we go in and refine the definitions. That's hard, though, when we can barely prove that something is haunted. I mean, we, we can't even define, de- decide on what definitive methods and evidence to use and consider. Well, that's where I think we need to stop. Where, that's where I think we need to reinvent the wheel. I think it's become a technology chase, and it seemed you brought up a good point in a private conversation. It seems like there was a hell of a lot more success with this stuff back in the seventies and eighties before it became all tri-field meters and digital this, and you know people were getting good EVP and getting interactive EVP with twelve-dollar realistic Radio Shack tape recorders. And magnetic tape. You know, maybe we need to go back. Maybe there was something about those magnetic tapes that made it easier for 
those, the entities to communicate. Maybe we need to drop back into that more old-school approach. And I've always wondered, if you walk into a supposedly haunted location, somebody from the 1800s, and you're waving a modern digital tape recorder or digital recorder in front of them, it's like handing a pig a wristwatch. If they haven't evolved past the 19th or 18th century, they don't understand what you're waving around in their faces and expecting them to do. So I, I think there's a, there's a disconnect. I think we need to go back, do our research from a more basic level, leave some of the technology behind, and use a, uh, I guess they go back to the Stone Age and work up from there. Then maybe we can get to a consensus of what, what constitutes a ghost, what constitutes a spirit, what the, you know, something that's evolving and still conscious of itself. We can find that, and it might take finding that cooperative spirit. You keep hearing about all these places where supposedly there's a ghost in residence. Well, if that interacts, well, approach them. Say, look, this is what we're trying to do. Try and get a cooperative spirit on board. That's probably what it's going to take. Got a question from Joyce in the SOR Space Travelers Club. Eric, we'll start with you on this one. She says, imagine having Nikola Tesla in this conversation. Would there be scientific or technical advances credited to people after their death? Oh, I would hope absolutely, especially in Tesla's case. Uh, yeah, if you were, I would think that'd be a given, yes. I would say if you wanted to continue to have the cooperation, say if you had Nikola Tesla helping you out from beyond, I would think it would be insistent you would have to give him credit because apparently if he's willing to come back, do what, you know, take a break from whatever he's doing on the other side to help you, there's still an ego involved. And I would think you'd still have to kind of stroke his ego to get his continued, uh, support and advice. So yeah, I would say you'd have to, uh, you'd have to give him credit. I would, <laughs> Well, that also plays on the same fact that, as you said, there's a lot, Everett. There's a lot of good science being created, quality science being created by people who aren't scientists. They're just regular people. Yeah, Eric said that. Okay. Well, I got the beards mixed up. I apologize. Ah. <laughs> uh. Here again, it's it's getting into the problem with our field of paranormal study is that it's so ego driven that it's it's about who's going to get that next who's going to be the next uh, ghost hunters who's going to be the next media sensation and it's not about doing the research and getting the answers that's the problem that's the baseline problem. It's going to take some dedicated people, whether they are classically trained scientists and experiencers like myself, 
whether they're just fascinated with science and have, you know, self-taught. It's going to take a group like that getting together and making, you know, making some decisions as to what constitutes the research. And it's going to have to be realistic. And like I said, it's going to take that, you know, the big thing in, in scientific research is reproducibility. I could go to a known haunted house, get as much film and as much EVP as I could as I could want. You know, the best of both: clear images, uh, you know, clear speech. If another group couldn't go in and do the same thing with the same gear, or even go do the same thing with a different approach, it's not going to mean anything. If it's not reproducible, you know, basically if you can't document it, it didn't happen. And it's got to be reproducible to be well documented. Where do aliens come into play with this type of study and in journalism, Everett? In journalism, I don't really know how to to answer that. I mean, they come into play if you're doing a, a UFO story or an abduction story. Um, you know, they come into play. They don't come into play in, in ghost or Bigfoot kind of studies. Um, I really don't know how to answer that. I guess what I'm looking for, not to set up your question... And I'm not going to throw you a softball either because you threatened to shave your beard the other day. (laughs) But, you know, I guess what I'm asking is we see a lot of television shows on aliens. We see a lot of documentaries on the subject. And yet the topic is always the same. I'll give you an example. I was The other night I couldn't sleep after the show, so I was actually watching a documentary about bases on the moon. And they were showing this picture of this this tube that looks like a, I don't know, some sort of you know piping tube. Uh, they're saying it could be about a mile long. And the announcer in the whole Fear Factor was saying something along the lines of, could this be a weapon of mass destruction that blows up Earth by the aliens? You know, why even throw that out there? You know, and I guess that's where I'm getting to the point. We don't know what we are dealing with in regards to extraterrestrials. We know a lot of people are having negative contact. We know we have a lot of people making positive contact. Yet when it comes to aliens, we laugh at it. Even when John Podesta, to bring his name up again, even when John Podesta is pushing for the media to hit up Hillary on disclosure. Why do you think then, Everett, that when it comes to newsrooms or journalists in the mainstream, that they get all childish about not wanting to cover anything about extraterrestrials? I think that they don't want to cover it because it... 
how do I say this? It's one of those topics that is very divisive. I mean, you have a lot of people out there going, oh, we're the only the the only race and the only civilization in the universe, despite any evidence. And then you have the people going out there on the other extreme saying that they know of 400 different races of aliens that are all here. So whatever is covered, it's going to alienate somebody. No, no pun intended. And a mainstream network isn't going to want to do that. They, they want to walk right down the middle of the line and, you know, sell commercial time and report what they think is going to scare people and fear people in their neighborhood and get them to go to the local grocery store. I do get that, okay? But when you have the highest-ranked civilian in North America who is a believer who has written many forewords on alien and UFO novels that are out there. Just Google and you can find the list. Okay? There has to be some credibility. We're not talking about, you know, Joe Construction Worker or even Lawyer James or, you know, Dr. Helen or whatever. We're talking about a very powerful man. You know, everybody brags about Paul Hellyer being the highest-ranking government official to speak out against the fact that, or speak out for the fact that extraterrestrials are here. But when it comes to John Podesta, it seems like everybody wants to be mum on the subject. Yeah, I can't really explain that. Well, hype, be hypothetical then. What do you think it is? I think maybe it's a fear. I think the networks might be fearful of putting this information out there. They might be fearful of the repercussions of dealing with somebody or you know accepting the statements of somebody like Podesta. Um, I think he has great credibility, but I think also that, you know, ultimately the networks decide what they want to do and what they want to put out there. And for whatever reason, they're choosing to ignore this story. I think ignore is the popular word there. I think it's the right word. Eric, what do you think about that? I think they like it's it's a given, and it's been proven that all they have to do to get a rating spike is throw out a supposedly credible story about UFOs or something supernatural, and they get that spike. I think they're afraid that if they run with it, what are they going to do for that spike? Because that's a reliable ratings boost. And if they play that card it disappears as a rating booster. That's just, you know, that's my take on it. But they do so many stories that are just a one-time ratings boost. Well, I, I, what, the, what I've been seeing in, in some of the research I've seen, it's like they get such a huge 
you know, people that would not tune in to CNN if their life depended on it will tune, and I'm just using that as an, you know, as an example, will tune in if they think they're going to hear something definitive about the subject. If it's like UFO reported over Kingman, Arizona, pictures at 11, people are going to tune into that. Where if it was a nightly story, oh, tonight in Kingman, Arizona, the UFOs came by, it loses its appeal and its punch and its instant ratings boost. And I think it's a, it's, they keep playing that card close to their vest because they don't want it. They don't want to lose that punch it gets because that's one of the biggest draws. I mean, you know, dog, you know, man bites dog is fine, but if you really want to get a ratings boost, like my local news station did one a few months ago about a, you know, they made it sound like they were going to have a picture of a ghost at one of the Greensboro hotels. And when, you know, it came up, it was one of those giggle factor stories but by the same token, I would not normally have stopped my work to go watch that that news show. I was in there watching that news show. So I, th- I think they know that they get such a huge boost out of that that they're not willing to mainstream it because they don't want to lose that ace in the hole. They want to be able to, if they're, if they're in trouble and they need a ratings boost, they have found a reliable thing to throw out there but that, why do they ignore so many reports i mean it's not like every day there's a ufo story but occasionally you see one and you're right it is kind of a, a little joke a giggle factor kind of thing it's not like they're pulling this out every time they have a uh, dip in the ratings they just periodically pop up uh if they're using it as a ratings grabber why aren't they pulling this out you know every other week or once a week and talking more about some of the sightings and activity in the in the ufo community i think my take on that and where i'm not where i'm a media consumer not more than i am a member of the media i see it as more of a If we talk if we talk about it every day, it becomes background noise. And I think they are a, you know the public has a short memory. And I think that if they main, if they bring this out and they discuss all the sightings, and it, might, it just might be that it doesn't fit within the, the way the news cycle has evolved, but if Every day or every time there was a really good sighting, it hit the news. It would get like shuttle launches. You know, the phenomenon when I, when I was a kid, you know, NASA would launch a spacecraft and we would, by God, stop what we were doing to watch it happen. Some of the early shuttle flights, you know, they were national events. Toward the end, you had to search for one. I mean, when Challenger blew up, it was on all of the news outlets as it was happening because there was so much interest. And I think if, 
they know if they mainstream or they give us a constant trickle of UFO stories or paranormal stuff that it's not going to have the impact. So in one way, I don't know if they're they're keeping it a they're keeping it relevant by keeping it rare, or if they're suppressing it. You can look at it either way. What about this factor? John Porter at hashtag Spaced Out Radio on Twitter says. Could it be that John Podesta was going after the disclosure vote because he knew he needed something, Everett? Oh, it certainly is possible. But to go after the disclosure vote, to, to bring this out and put it out there that, that you have this and you can do this just to get votes, that's really, really risky. If he doesn't have the information that he claims to have, that's... Uh, that's a dangerous thing to do because eventually someday somebody is going to call him on this. It's not going to be today or tomorrow, but one day whatever documents he has are going to be released or public or somebody's going to have them. And if that were to happen during the elections, that that would be a, a really dangerous thing to do. It would be a dangerous statement to make. Eric, what's your thoughts? I I see a more I think he was just being pragmatic and he thought maybe he could get a a fringe section. I agree that I th- I think he was just pandering to a trying to pander to a crowd. I don't think he had I don't think he really had any interest in UFO disclosure. I don't think he has any more information probably than anybody else. But he saw a you know, he was dedicated to trying to get his person elected, and he was you know, pulling out all the stops. And it's like, well, we maybe we can get this voting block in our corner if we say we're going to disclose. Because if you look at it, the way he phrased it and the way she answered it, well, yes, if it doesn't if it doesn't damage national security, well, they had a that's a big, you know. That's a big if, or, you know, that's a kind of a, a, a catch-all codicil. You know, it's like, oh, yeah, I'd love to, I'd love to, you know, disclose that, but I just don't think, you know, that they could couch it in national security in such a way as it would still not be proof that there was aliens. It would just be this vague... We're worried about something, you know, like they probably say, well, the way they're detected is a secret. I don't I don't know. I just I think they left it so so open ended there that there was no way it was going to happen, whether she'd been elected or not. That there would have been an excuse or a reason that it couldn't be disclosed. I have to wonder if the disclosure vote is so important and there's so many people out there wanting it. Why isn't this being talked about in the mainstream openly and, you know, being done? If there's that many people and and he feels the disclosure vote is that important, this should be a topic that's on the tips of everybody's tongue. Well, I mean, don't forget, you had Bill Clinton go on Jimmy Kimmel, talk about it. 
you had President Obama go on one of the late night talk shows. I'm not sure if it was Kimmel or Jimmy Fallon talk about it. And yet those are two presidents. And everyone knows that before a president goes on, they have the questions already set on what's going to be asked. And the host is not allowed to stray from those. So the fact that both of them were asked questions on late night television about extraterrestrials and UFOs, that says something. I don't think it's about humor at that part in that point in time. So it's not like the topic hasn't been tried. It's just that the media, for whatever reason, will not bite on it. And the only ones that will would be considered your fringe media, alternative, unreliable sources. Mm-hmm. True. I don't True. know. I don't know an answer for that. It just. I, I agree with Everett. If this is that important, who's pulling the strings behind the scene to make sure that this stays? a giggle topic and not a mainstream topic. I mean, obviously, the, the, the shows that exist are proof that there's interest. I mean, if you've got enough interested people that you budget and make shows like uh, oh, Ancient Aliens or you know UFO Hunter, yeah, I mean, there's enough interest that there's, the media is spending money to put this product out there, what's on the other side keeping it from being? Like Everett's saying, why is this not on the news every night? And I don't know the answer. I don't know who is back there making sure that it doesn't happen. Who got the paradigm in the media put into that, that denial Well, I can explain how the newsroom works. The newsroom, each newsroom is hammered by phone calls 24 hours a day. The bigger markets more so than the smaller markets, okay? And when I say small, I'm saying the smaller metropolises, okay? Like, for instance, a New York newsroom would get way more phone callers than, say, a Vancouver newsroom or a Portland newsroom, something along those lines. So when I look at that, And then a lot of people who call in are not very descriptive. They want a cameraman out there. They want a reporter out there. And when you ask them why, well, I can't tell you. There's something in the sky. I need you to come see this right away. Well, you're not going to send a female reporter or a camera, which costs money, out to something in the middle of the night with some guy just saying, hey, take my word for it, even though you don't know me. And he's maybe sounding kind of freakish on the phone. Right? So it makes people fickle. And it makes it makes journalists a little bit more thick-skinned in regards to the topics that, quote-unquote, the weirdos are looking into. You know what I'm saying? The tinfoil hat people. We don't cover that. So it's maybe not about belief in the topic. It's more so about the fact that they don't want to deal with the people involved because there doesn't seem to be very much credibility. What do you think? 
You know, I, I can see that to a point, but I think there are a lot of instances where, you know, there are sightings going on where multiple people are calling or it's the daytime sightings. There have been many opportunities for these newsrooms to handle the topic correctly and intelligently, and they always go back to either ignoring it or it's, like Eric said earlier, a giggle factor. I think there there was, well, it, there, it, it seems that there have been a few attempts at doing this. There's the uh, Belgian UFO sighting where this thing cruised over. And now I'm not saying it might have been one of our own experimental aircraft. But, I mean, you had pretty decent coverage on that in that the eyewitnesses were police, were credible witnesses. And with the... The Phoenix Lights. You know, it wasn't a bunch of drunk trailer trash reporting this. You had a wide variety of people from different walks of life. Uh, I think one of the main people that jumped on that bandwagon was a noted cardiologist. Eric, I'm going to cut you off right there, bud. I'm going to wrap this thing up. Oh, wow. It's already 3 o'clock. It is. Well, 12 o'clock my time. You're way over in the future there. If you're listening to Spaced Out Radio on the archive, go to our YouTube channel, Spaced Out Radio Show. Tune us in on TuneIn. Download this show and others from iTunes. Happy birthday, Catherine. I appreciate you tuning in, especially on your birthday. Tomorrow night, Kathy Strain talks Bigfoot with us for the first two hours. I'm sure I can bring these two guys back along with Eric Cooper and his beard as well. Good to have you with us. Thank you for listening in on Spreaker, on Spaced Out Radio, Revolution Radio, United Public Radio Network, the High Plains Talk Radio Network, and Renegade Talk Radio out of Las Vegas, our latest affiliate of Spaced Out Radio. Thank you all for tuning in. I'll be back in exactly 21 hours from now. Hope you are too. Hit me up on social media, including LinkedIn. Love to connect with you. Have a good one. So how'd that show apparently... Good.